Hi, this is Steve. For Francis Ford Coppola, every day of The Godfather was a battle. He battled for his cast, his budget, and his script. It was a fight to make sure the film was set in the proper time and place, rather than in modern-day Kansas City. And things, if anything, got worse when he started shooting with spies on the set and studio penny pinchers questioning every one of his decisions. The fact is that after less than a week, the studio was ready to fire Francis Ford Coppola, and he knew it. But that only made him fight harder. He fired the spies, he reshot the first scene with Brando, and perhaps most importantly, he adjusted the schedule so he could shoot the film's pivotal scene right away. And it was only after seeing that footage that Bob Evans and the brass at Paramount realized that this crazy young director might be onto something very special after all. What scene did he shoot? Well, if you've seen the movie, you probably have a pretty good guess. And if you haven't, then, quite frankly, I don't think you can really call yourself a cinephile until you go to cinephiles.net, where you can buy or stream The Godfather along with every other movie we've ever reviewed through Amazon Prime. And if you happen to support the show on patreon.com slash the cinephiles, right now you could be hearing a brand new cinephile short on the movies of Kevin Smith. So that's a discussion of Kevin Smith on Patreon and the continuation of our exploration of The Godfather this Friday on The Cinephiles. Let's set the meeting. Get our informers to find out where it's going to be held. Now we insist it's a public place, a bar, a restaurant, some place where there's people so I feel safe. They're going to search me when I first meet them, right? So I can't have a weapon on me then. But if Clemenza can figure a way to have a weapon planted there for me, then I'll kill them both. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where this week we are continuing our truly epic exploration of The Godfather. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a writer, producer, and host on The Outlaw Nation uh, and a voiceover guy and a massive fan of both of these movies and certainly this movie that we're talking about today. Do you feel that as the leader, we, one might say the Don, the Godfather of The Outlaw Nation, <laughs> that you are building your own empire and yeah. trying to go into like a more you know legitimate <laughs> is that a fair thing to say uh yeah i think that's a fair thing to say although i would imagine i'd need to have um how can i say this i need to have a, a stronger second in command i need to have uh, you need a concierge. Yeah, I need a concierge. That's what I really need to take the outlaw. And I need to be a little more, a little less worrying about what the other guy is doing, a little more about worrying what I'm doing, and be a little more uh, stronger about the things I need to do to take the, sh the uh, channel to the next level. So, yes, I've, if I could be as cutthroat as Michael and emotionless as Michael, I think the, sh the channel would be even farther ahead, possibly. Maybe you need to start making some people some offers they can't refuse. <laughs> yeah, but the exchange is the reason people love the channel so much is because it's a very open, uh, receptive, and warm and accepting channel. So that's Absolutely. the exchange. That's the exchange. So. Well, I think that's, as we're going to get into, that's the balance <laughs> that Michael keeps trying to strike yeah. in the course of this 
you know, series of films and never quite makes it to be legitimate. You're you know? right. You're right, Steve. That scene in Godfather 2 where he breaks down in front of his mom and says, how come they love dad and they don't love me the same way they love dad? His inability to understand how his coldness alienates everyone around him. It's it's what you just said just hit me. And of course, we're we're never going to get to the end of these films, but <laughs> like I never thought of Michael and related him to Charles Foster Kane mm. until the, that moment that you just said that. Oh, interesting! Yeah. Is that the inability uh, to wanting to love and receive love, and what is what is missing in Michael's character? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. because part of it, like Charles Foster Kane, is he doesn't really have that much love to give. Yeah, he doesn't know what the word means. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But right now we're still kind of romantic because where we left off with the Godfather was Vito Corleone had just been shot. Fredo was weeping, looking down at his father's body, who at this point, if we first time we see the movie, might very well be dead. And we cut from that to among our most loving moments with Michael. He they're outside Radio City Music Hall. They've just seen the Bells of St. Mary. He's with Kay. Yeah. And they're having a flirtatious, joking thing that couples do. Mike, would you like me better if I were a nun? Like in the story, you know? No. Well then would you like me better if I were Ingrid Bergman? Now that's a thought. And then as they're joking, and I love the way Coppola shoots this, is they come across a newsstand and the camera is behind the newsstand, and so they disappear for a moment. And when Kay pops out on the other side, we see that she has seen something, yeah. and she says, Michael. Mm-hmm. And he comes back, and there is the newspaper that says, Vito Corleone feared dead. Pretty fast paper to come out as quickly as it's, within an hour or two thought. hours. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know they did have <laughs> afternoon papers, they but did. that is pretty... Well, and the whole like fear dead is like, look, the guy's either dead or he's not. Yeah. You know, it's like the, the newspaper would probably have an answer to that. Right. But we're going to suspend the, this time that he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, all these newspaper insur- inserts shot by George Lucas. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cause he's down there helping Coppola out right, on all right. this stuff. <laughs> and, and, and as we said, Michael looks through the paper, can't find out if he's, dead or alive and he looks around for a, a phone the music is very heavy and I, I love this this thing that coppola said as he was shooting this or setting up to shoot he's like looking at their they're on the location doing a scout and he goes ah, i wish we had a phone booth here it'd be so cool if michael could just run across the street to the phone booth and the the art department said we get your phone booth <laughs> <laughs> it was just like this moment of going oh i'm making a movie for a studio right they could get a phone booth yeah <laughs> I don't have to shoot the location as is. I can add as is. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he runs across the street, calls in, and the first thing, and I think this is a great clue, talks to Sonny. The first thing Sonny says is, where have you been? Yeah. Didn't Tom tell you I called? Well, of course, Tom didn't tell him because Salazzo's grabbed Tom. Right, right. And even Sonny doesn't know if he's alive or dead. Yeah. And now we're with uh, Sonny. Uh, who is with his wife mm-hmm. and he hears some noises and he grabs his gun because, I mean, the whole family could be about to be wiped out. Yeah. Uh, but it's Clemenza. There's more news about your old man. The word is out in the street he's already dead. What's the matter with you? Oh, I love how Sonny grabs him and throws him against the wall. And then uh, Clemenza's like, calm down, Sonny, calm down. You know, and that, but that's Sonny. That's Sonny. He is... Like, don't even joke about the death of my dad. Like, I, I, I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you've been devoted to this family. I'll, I'll, I'll knock your lights out, you know? And so yeah. that's that's Sonny to a T in that moment, you know? 
And, and what, I, what I love, too, that's a baby crying. Like, yeah. this is a very lived-in space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it isn't a cold space. Right. Well, and here's, here's what's smart, too, because um, the scene is, first of all, you go from Michael, who's in a tight phone booth, to Sonny, who's in a tight kitchen. So yeah. the tension is there, the feeling of being boxed in, the feeling of, like, uh, uh, fear for the first time in this swaggering family has entered it in quite some time uh, that we're seeing on on screen. And so, like, the fact he shoves Clemenza up there and all this stuff is going on, and Clemenza goes off, he says, I don't care how sick he was, you get that guy, you get Paul, you get back at the house, you know, so you know Paulie's a goner. Uh, yeah. And then you get the phone call, but once again, it's all this idea of being trapped, this idea of being in a box all of a sudden, uh, it's such it's so brilliant to shoot it that way. Coppola could have shot it in the bigger living room and the in the bigger room in the house or whatever, but he shoots it in tight quarters in the kitchen. It's grimy, it's dirty, it's not as pretty to look at, and that's on purpose because the veneer of this luxurious life might be fading with the death of the Godfather. Well, and I think Sonny's a man of action. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't like to wait. He wants to do stuff. Mm-hmm. And in our first scene with him being in charge, he's got to wait. Yeah. You know, yeah, he gets yeah. this call from Salazzo. It's, you know, they have Tom Hagen. Uh, it's got, they got three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, he has to write like, okay, 830 on the cabinet. Yeah. Um, and then we cut to this very dark space, which was shot like in an abandoned diner in New York City. And there's Salazzo and there's Tom. Yeah. And he says... Your boss is dead. Your boss is dead. I know you're not in the muscle end of the family, Tom, so I don't want you to be scared. This scene doesn't get enough credit, Steve. Salazzo, uh, Al Natiri, El- is it Natiri or N- N- Frank, what is his name? Al Natiri or something like that? Uh, he does, a, he does such a great job. Sorry, he does such a great <laughs> job uh, at, in this scene as Salazzo, you know, kind of letting Tom know. And he goes, oh, yeah, you know, Sonny's going to come with, with uh, all his guns and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, That'll be his first reaction, yeah. But uh, I'm yeah. counting on you. So Salazzo is so in control in this situation. And the actor who plays him does such a fantastic job of um, showing you how quickly all of a sudden he is the dominant and they are the submissive in this power dynamic where he had come to them hat in hand for help. Now he's turned the tables. And in this scene, it's shot so dark, very noir-ish. And I wonder if it's an homage to the noirs of the past. And, you know, you have that just the brim and then the fire lighting there. It's just brilliant the way it's done. Well, it's funny. It came up like I think in our in our last conversation about how smart is Salazzo, and mm-hmm. I think I thought thought felt he was smarter, and you felt maybe it was more Barzini behind the whole thing. Yeah, but I yeah I think in this moment he's like he's th- he's got some chess moves made yep. in advance. And yep. the other thing that I hadn't really thought about until watching it so much this time is how much time has passed between. Vito saying, I'm not going to do the deal with the drugs, yeah. and Vito getting shot. Right, true. It's the same day, isn't it? Yeah, I think so, because uh, doesn't he call Luca Brazian after the situation with Salazzo and sends him down? Doesn't that how that works? Isn't that chronological? Yeah, I mean, maybe, and maybe, so maybe it's, it's a, a few days later, but maybe it's not a too much. few days? Yeah, not too I, much, though. The, the thing I think, I think, because this is really Barzini's plot. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the guy who's really behind this whole thing. He wants to get Vito Corleone, who's the top of the five families. He wants them out. Yeah. You know, and so I wonder if Salazzo always knew that Vito was going to say no to the deal with the drugs. Yeah. And if his, this was always the plan. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, and the other you say it's a great scene, which I totally agree. You got to watch Robert Duvall. Mm. And how he takes this in. This is his father. He just said your father's dead, basically. 
So now it's up to you to make the peace between me and Sonny. Sonny was hot for my deal, wasn't he? And you knew it was the right thing to do. Sonny will come after you with everything he's got. Because he has Vito's calm yeah. in, a, in a lot of ways, in the same way that Michael does, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. to be able to separate business and personal in his mind. Yeah. And then he says, I love this moment too. He says, let's face it, Tom, with all due respect, the Don was slipping. The Don was Ten- slipping. <laughs> Ten years ago, could I have gotten him? Well, now he's dead. He's dead, Tom, and nothing can bring him back. So you got to talk to Sonny. You got to talk to the Cabo regimes, that Tessio, that fat Clemenza. It's good business, Tom. Tom's response, again, this is, all this is so interesting. He says, I'll try. But even Sonny won't be able to call off Luca Brasi. You let me worry about Luca. <laughs> Why does he not say that Luca's dead? Oh, because you don't want to show your hand. You don't want to show. You want to leave them thinking they still have uh, moves to make. And once they realize those moves are not there, it's an even greater victory because uh, they turn around to go after Lu- to get Luca, and Luca's not around, which we'll see in a little bit. And that's the power play that he's uh, he's doing here. You never reveal too much when you're in a position of power until it's over. I don't like violence, Tom. I'm a businessman. Blood is a big expense. He's great. I love that. Yeah, he's, Blood is he's just great. Expense. And now we're out front, and it ends up we're sort of in a Christmas tree lot, mm. and this is you know real snow. This it was really really cold. The wind was really really blowing, and this goes to this thing of Coppola loves weather because yeah. the producers on the set said, "Oh, we got a storm. We're going to get insurance. Is going to give us money because we weren't able to shoot that day. Maybe we go to a cover set, and then we could shoot it how we want." And Coppola's like. No, let's go outside and shoot. <laughs> Apparently, it was pretty brutal out there. Yeah. And that's when we find out that Vito is alive. Yeah. He's still alive. Six shots. We hit him with six shots. He's still alive. Well, that's bad luck for me. Bad luck for you if you don't make this deal. Oh, so good. It's great. And for the first time, and now the tables have turned again, Steve. The power dynamics shifts now. He's not dead. Salazzo's not as strong as he thought he was. So now he comes back at at, uh, at Hagen with the um, kind of nervous anger, you know? And so that's a, it's a desperate shot when he says, like, you better make this deal, you know? And so now... Well, because, sudden, yeah, because Salazzo only has minutes now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. we don't know how with it Vito's going to be. Right. And so if Vito can bring in all of his power, Salazzo's screwed. Yeah, exactly. So if he can make this deal right away... Michael arrives back at the compound, but, but I think I've said this is all designed by Dean Tavalaris to look mm-hmm. sort of like the Kennedy compound. Yeah. We see there's a chain across the gate. By the way, the big, heavy stone walls, styrofoam. <laughs> your mother's over in the hospital with your father. Looks like he's going to pull through, thank God. And now we're in this meeting. So long just the key. You get rid of him, everything falls into line. And this is the first time Michael is sort of in the space. Yeah. With, with talking about the family business. Right, because it's his father. If this had been business about anything else, uh, anybody who wasn't a family member, Michael wouldn't be in the room. Michael wouldn't even right. be called. You know? Yeah. Um, and the first thing they're worried about, as you said, is the word, where's Luca? I know if Luca sold out with a lot of trouble, believe me. A lot of trouble. And then we asked Tom, you know, what happens if, if the old man dies, God forbid? And yeah. Tom says, because he's going to lay out the business. Yep. If we lose the old man... We lose our political contacts and half our strength. 
The other New York families might wind up supporting Solazzo just to avoid a long, destructive war. This is almost 1946. Nobody wants bloodshed anymore. If your father dies, you make the deal, Sonny. You know, it's easy for you to say, Tom, he's not your father. And he shuts him down. He says yeah. to him, he's, he's as much of a dad to me as he is to you. And uh, and to Sonny's credit, he goes, eh, yeah, all right, fine. Uh, yeah. Yeah, good point. You know. Well, this is the, and we're going to see this several times, is the tension between Sonny and yep. Tom. Yep, yep. They're the two older brothers. Tom, yeah. yeah. Well, and Tom's always going to be holding Sonny back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's the guy who's always saying no. And then Polly comes in coughing because he's sick, John. It sure is. He's really sick. He couldn't go to work. You want me to hang around? Yeah, hang around. You all right? Yeah, I'm fine. And Sonny is so nice to him. Oh, of course. Are you hungry or anything? No, it's all right. Thanks. How about a drink? Have a little brandy. That's good to sweat yeah. it out. Huh? All right, sure. Go ahead, babe. That might be a good idea. Yeah, right. If the Corleones, John, are ever really nice to you. <laughs> You're dead. You're dead. You're dead. Yeah, you're dead. Because it's going to happen over and over oh, yeah. again. Yep, yep. And the second he's out the door, Sonny says, I want you to take care of that son of a bitch right away. Paul, he sold out the old man, that Struz. I don't want to see him again. Make that first thing on your list, understand? Understood. That Struz. <laughs> One of the things that was really important to Coppola was accents. If you saw Italian-Americans in a movie previous to The Godfather... They all spoke like this. You know, they had the, 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 that right. ridiculous Italian accent, yeah. partially because they weren't Italians. Right. And what Coppola said is that Santino's not going to have an Italian accent. He grew up in New York. He's going to have a New York accent. Yeah. And so you listen to the voices and you can hear the people who actually are from Italy and the people like Robert Duvall and James Caan and Al Pacino. They're New Yorkers mm-hmm. and they speak like New Yorkers. And you can hear that throughout the film. And Mickey Tamara, you get a couple of guys, you go over to Lucas' apartment, hang around, wait for them to show up. This is the first time that anybody even thinks of having Michael take an action yeah. as part of the family. Yeah. And Tom shuts it down. Uh, maybe we shouldn't get Mike uh, mixed up in this too directly. And I love James Kahn's performance in this moment. Because you watch his face. Because yeah. he does accept that. Yeah. But he doesn't. It's a disappointment. Listen, uh, hang around the house on the phone and be a big help, huh? He's not a, like I said, like a, a, I think Vito is wrong later on in the film when he says, I never thought you were a bad concierge. I thought the Sonny was a bad Don. Sonny's not a bad Don. What he is, is um, emotional. So, yes, that could be bad, but the fact that he is surrounded by Tom Hagen, Michael, other people that could have corralled him had he survived, if he'd gotten a little bit older, that aggressive nature of his could have been pin could have been shaved down to where it's a pinpoint where it's a kind of sword that you could use when you need to use it. As he got older and he calmed down a little more, bit more, and let me tell you something from a person who is who has this experience, you kind of figure out where to exert your passion and where not to because it exhausts you. And so with Sonny, it's all over the place. But I don't think he's a bad dog because he does care for his brother. He does give like if someone makes a good point, he's actually willing to listen. And so with that way, I think he's a, he's actually a little bit better than people give him credit for in the movie, in my opinion, and in the analysis of the movie. Sometimes think because he's a hothead that somehow he's wrong, but he doesn't go off just yelling at everybody and yelling whatever and doesn't listen to anybody. He does listen to people. When he loses it and gets himself killed at the toll booth, who we talk about later, that's because he loves his sister madly. And he's infuriated that this guy still wouldn't sure. take the lesson and beat her as well as enough for her to call. 
Like the thing is, she didn't want to call. When she calls, that's as far. It's a terrible, terrible situation. But it's because it's out of love. It isn't from a desire to kill. It's out of love. You know. Well, I think he's he does want to kill him. Well, sure, true. sure. But I mean, like you know what I but mean. It's driven. Except, by I mean, I think it depends on what your standards are. Is is he a bad don compared to Tatalia? Maybe not. Tatalia's a pimp, though, man. <laughs> compared to Vito. Right. Sure. 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 Because would Vito run off? Vito loves his daughter. Right. If he heard that, would he run off and do that? He would not. You're right. He said because what Vito says in the scene later on with Mike mm-hmm. is, "I spent my whole life trying not to be careless." Yeah. Right. And Sonny also is yeah. Oh, sorry, Steve. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sonny is careless in that moment. He is, you know. You're right. He is careless. He's also young. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, Vito's just born from a different cloth, and his experience is different. Whereas Sonny, uh, his, is, his is a little more of a spoiled existence, so a little more of a, I, I'm owed all this stuff, so his reactions are a little different. And that's true. I, I think Vito is a deep thinker and a strategic thinker. Right. And Sonny is a tactical thinker. Right. You know, not a deep thinker. And it was what, what just occurred to me as you were talking is like, I think Sonny is Patton. He's mm. not Eisenhower. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you aim him at a target, he's great. Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. But to, to but he couldn't handle the five families. No, you know, he'd look for a fence. He'd look yeah. for a fence everywhere. You're right. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. And then we're still talking about what the hell happened to Luca, and in comes Tessio with a package. <laughs> it's a fi- I from my youngest memory of oh, this yeah. movie, I've remembered this moment. Mm-hmm. He opens it up, fish wrapped in Luca's bulletproof vest. What does that mean? That's a Sicilian message. It means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. <laughs> how does Tom, how does Sonny not know what a Sicilian message is, right? Exactly. Uh, but it was, of course, to explain to the audience who's watching, who probably doesn't know what a Sicilian message is. Precisely. And boom. And it goes back to your earlier point in the first part, Steve, where you said, this is what you get when an authentic Italian-American makes this movie. These little moments that lend an undercurrent yep. of authenticity throughout the movie. He knows he has to explain this, this inner workings of the mob or the mafia to the crowd that is watching this movie in 1972. Right. It's the next day. Clemenza's leaving to go get in the car, and his wife says, don't forget the cannoli. (laughs) The only reason she says this is that Coppola wanted to make a moment out of it. Uh. You know, and this is like a classic director thing is like, give Uh. your bit player something interesting. Yeah. If she just says goodbye, that's not interesting. If she says, don't be late and don't forget the cannoli. (laughs) Now we have a relationship between these people. That's the only reason he put this in. We do. And I love the Ruth Bezzy, Ruth Buzzy outfit she has on. It's great. Totally. <laughs> and it's the same thing in the car with Polly, is that they give him a reason to make him think he's okay. Mm-hmm. That son, he's running wild. He's thinking of going to the mattresses already. We got to find a spot over on the west side. You know any good spots on the west side? Yeah, I think about it. Well, think about it while you're driving. Well, yeah, I want to hit New York sometime this month. But also, Polly suspects something, which is why yes. he has... Uh, is it Rocco move over to his right so he doesn't get he thinks he might get garroted if he stays yeah. in in the in the driver's uh, area you know and so makes him move over and you're right they joke with him they talk about it. he says something about exterminate <laughs> exterminate we're gonna be careful we don't exterminate you like jokes all around yep uh and then you know 
we end and up. And then after a little drive through some stock footage, yeah. you know, <laughs> they they end up at this field. And I love, you know, I, and maybe it's because I first saw this four by three. I wonder if you can see the Statue of Liberty in the background in the four by three version. Oh, good point. I don't know. Because that's such a great setting. Yeah, it with, is. Like this field and the only thing, we have this immigrant story mm-hmm. and the story yeah. about America. And there's the Statue of Liberty in the background. Paul yeah. Clemenza says, I need to take a leak. Steps out, walks away. They were in a wide shot. Yeah. Clemenza zips up, and then we get the line. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Take the cannoli. Oof. Which is improvised. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. Yeah, Clemenza came up with that. Nice. And he wouldn't have come up with it if Coppola hadn't given the don't forget the cannoli to the wife. And this is why, this is why, particularly when you're talking about Coppola, you have to push back against the genius director who has everything in their brain and has the whole movie planned out. You can't plan that out. Yeah. yeah. It's a thing, just like you can't plan out the weather, you can't plan out all these things. Yeah. And that's some of the best stuff that comes up in the movie. Yeah, what you hope is you create an environment where some stuff like that can happen. That you're creating such an environment exactly. where greatness can come out of the in a collaborative effort. Yeah. Small detail, but I find it interesting is if you look at the car in the windshield on the bottom left corner of the windshield is the letter A, hmm. because that is its gas rationing number from letter from World War II. Oh wow! How interesting. It's uh, totally interesting, and Co- again, this was a Coppola thing that he insisted this. They figure it out and put it on that. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like, will anyone notice that? You know, few people. Yeah, but it's one more little detail. Mm-hmm. I love the next shot, which is that Mike is sitting on a bench alone outside in the cold in his coat because he looks so young. Mm-hmm. He looks like a kid because this is this is the moment before mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that he's going to change. Mm-hmm. And I think he's already thinking about it. Yeah. I think if Tom hadn't said anything, he might have gone with a couple of guys over to Lucas' place. Mm-hmm. Maybe even gotten killed. Maybe even gotten killed. Cause I they, think it's in his head. Right, because Salazzo would have been there waiting for whoever was mm. checking in on, on Luca, sure. probably. Salazzo's men, at least. Um, that's why it's very similar to this film to like Excalibur. The difference is as... You see the young Michael, like you see the young Arthur, and it's the same actor. And as the film goes on, obviously we don't see uh, Michael with the gray hair or anything like we do at the end of Excalibur, but we see this progression of the young man into embracing his power and the steps that lead to that happening and the tragedy that leads to that happening that hardens him and gives him perspective and um, it turns him into the leader that he becomes. But you're right. In that moment, he looks like a kid sitting like he's probably sat there before in the past as a kid. Maybe he's done stuff wrong or felt out of place with maybe he got into a fight with his brother, you know, and goes out and sits there by himself to kind of like process the feelings or whatever. So I would not be surprised that that's in in Al Pacino's head. That's a place he's gone to multiple times as a younger kid or teenager or whatever to kind of think things through. I think that's a great point. I hadn't thought about it, but mm-hmm. you suddenly went, made me go, well, what was Michael Corleone like as a kid? Yeah. I think he was quiet yeah. and aloof. Very and much. He wasn't, it wasn't easy for him to make friendships or relationships. I bet you're totally right. I think he spent a lot of time on that bench. He has no friends, Steve, yeah. in the movie at all. It's his brothers and Kay. That's yeah. it. You know, And his father. And his father. Right, right. But it's, yeah, yeah right. Sorry. His family and Kay. That's right. it. There are no yeah. friends. He didn't calling, you know, he's calling Joe or something like that. It's, it's completely on his own. 
Well, and what and the relationship with Kay, which we're going to see in this next moment, is like yeah. it's odd. Yeah, it is odd. You know, it's not sweet and loving. We have mm. some sweet moments with them, but right now he comes in because there's a phone call from Kay. He's on the phone, <laughs> and it's just so great. The the she says, uh, "I love you," and he goes, "Uh huh." Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, aren't you going to say it back? Aren't you going to say it back? <laughs> yeah, I can't talk. Yeah, I'll see you tonight. And then he hangs up, and I love Clemenza. Hmm. Hey, Mikey, why don't you tell that nice girl you love her? I love you with all of my heart. If I don't see you again soon, I'm going to die. <laughs> uh, if I don't see you, I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things in Coppola's big notebook is that Clemenza needs to be an uncle, a mm. real loving uncle for Michael. He yeah. has to really care about him. Mm. You totally see it in this scene. This is, by the way, where we get the gangsters don't brown garlic, they fry garlic, which is that Coppola story I literally heard five times. <laughs> um, here's the thing that I think is funny is he makes the recipe for uh, tomato sauce. Is Coppola said, he said, I think all of my movies should have a good recipe in it. So at least if the movie turns out bad, people at least can make a good meal. (laughs) 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 Which I'm trying to go like, is there a good recipe in Apocalypse Now? I don't don't, know. I don't remember one. I mean, they cut up that cow. That's true. That's true. Recipe for danger, that's for sure. Where are you going? To the city. I'm going to send some bodyguards with him, all right? No, I'm just going to the hospital. Never mind. Send somebody with him. Oh, he'll be all right. Salozo knows he's a civilian. And then I love Michael starts to go and Sonny goes, send somebody anyway. <laughs> Cut to Michael in the car with some guys. <laughs> and then we're in a hotel room and this dinner with Kay is so weird. It is. Her hair is weird. Like her hair is very much like 50s politician's wife hair, even though I know this is yeah. the 40s, but it's like pushed back. It's very almost mother looking. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? So it's severe and yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and it's interesting. So Coppola had uh, Al Pacino and Diane Keaton. He had them s- stay in this hotel room and order rooms. He said, order whatever you want. Have a date. Yeah. And apparently, I think they were dating. They actually started yeah. dating yes. at some point during this movie. Yeah. Um, and there's little details like that. You know, they're eating room service, but Michael is sitting on the bed, mm-hmm. you know, because they just had sex. Yeah. And the scene is so quiet and so um strained isn't the right word but there's a lot of stuff and this is where what this is how i felt watching it this time mm-hmm. is i went again i went i think michael's already decided yeah i think he's or he's real close to deciding and he knows his relationship with k might be over yeah at this moment he's distant he's already preparing himself yep. for the break that's coming because she says when will i see you again michael and he says i don't know that's the key right there because, of course, what happens at the hospital is the transition. Yep. And then what happens at the restaurant is also a transition. Yep. Yep. But if what happened at the hospital didn't happen, I think he might still have gone. Oh, you do? He, okay. That's where, because when am I going to see you again? I don't know. Right. I take you the know? I don't know as he's still considering his options. Yes. So he's not sure. Yeah. Yes, I agree. That's what I say. He might still have done yeah, it. Yeah, true. Even might without that. Done it. Yep. We're at the hospital. This might be my favorite sequence in the movie. Uh-huh. I I just love everything about the way it's constructed. He pulls up, and first, it's just the empty halls. Mm-hmm. Nobody's there. And we see, like, the half of a sandwich, the empty chairs, the empty nurse's station. Like, all of this, and the music, and it's sort of building the tension, and the music is 
building and building until Michael's running down the hall and ends up, goes past where the guard station is and gets to his father's door. And you can see that moment. He's afraid to open that door because mm-hmm. his dad could be dead already. Yeah. And there's his dad alone in the bed. And and the way it's framed, by the way, what I was thinking about, it's very similar to the final shot. It's through that doorway mm. that we're seeing this space. Good point. Um, and then the nurse comes up, and it's scary yep. when she shows up. What are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here now. I'm Michael Corleone. This is my father. There's nobody here. What happened to the guards? Your father just had too many visitors. They interfered with hospital service. The police made them leave about 10 minutes ago. 10 minutes. Yep. And he calls home. Sonny, Michael, I'm at the hospital. Listen, I got here late. There's nobody here. Nobody. No, no, no. Tessio's men, no detectives, nobody. Papa's all alone. And this moment is great. I won't panic. That's the brother to little brother thing, yeah. Well, and it's also, he's not going to panic. Right. And you could see the wheels turn mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as he comes up the plan. And the first part of the plan is we're going to meet, move him to another room. Right. That's out of the question. You know my father. Men are coming here to kill him. You understand? Now help me, please. And we see them from below moving the bed with the IV. And then you start to hear noises, footsteps, something coming. And we have shots of the empty hallways as we're hearing the footsteps get louder and louder and the tension's building. Here's something interesting about filmmaking. Um, When you go to shoot a scene, usually you make a shot list. So you Mm -hmm. go like, okay, I need to shoot the close-up here and an insert here and a wide shot. Now, these are all the things I need to get. Right. And then you step-by-step go through the shot list. And frequently there is something in the shot list, particularly as I work with student filmmakers, Mm -hmm. that you forget. That you just didn't put in the shot list because you're focusing on the important stuff when the important stuff is your characters. Right. Coppola didn't shoot any empty hallways because he's he shot Michael. Yeah. And he shot Vito and he shot Enzo showing up. But he didn't shoot empty hallways because he didn't think about it. Right. And then suddenly they're in post going, oh, to build this tension, we need to hear the footsteps and we need to see empty hallways. But they couldn't find any. They didn't. He'd never shot it. So you know what they did? Call up our good friend, George Lucas. <laughs> George, go through all the heads and tails of everything we shot in the hospital and see if you can find a moment before the actor stepped into frame. Yeah. You know, so Michael's about to turn a corner into the hallway. And so you have 50 frames of empty hallway after they pulled the slate out. Yeah. And that is what we got. That's how we made that sequence. Wow. Work. Wow. Yeah. Um, and it happens all the time because, yeah. like, why would you think about shooting nothing? You're so busy to get everything. You've got to get shot, shot. Yeah. And then here comes this guy up the stairs. And at first, it's like, this guy's obviously a killer. Yeah. It's Enzo, the baker. <laughs> Who are you? I am Enzo, the baker. I love Enzo. I love. If there is trouble, I stay here to help you. For your father, for your father. Which, of course, is tying back what happened earlier in the wedding right because right. it was it was him that uh homie was lobbying for to stay in the country and he ends yep. up uh, paying dividends he would have he would have lost everything he had been sent back to italy wouldn't be yep. married wouldn't have a career wouldn't be in america so you know vito literally saved his life on some level wouldn't be in godfather so then, part three yeah wait for me outside in front of the hospital all right i'll be out in a minute go ahead okay okay 
And then this moment, man, leans into dad. You see that eye open that mm. Vito is awake. And he says, I hear Bob. Take care of you now. I'm with you now. I'm with you. That's the moment. That's when he's finally decided. You know, Steve, you to talk about it. He's been on the fence and figuring it out and thinking about it. This is the moment. I'm with you is purposeful in the dialogue of this movie. And in that moment, he is saying, I've made my decision to join the family in the family business. Yeah. It's so funny because Brando, we know him as an actor that's mm -hmm. so big. And I think what he does in this scene is so amazing. Mm -hmm. Just the, because he's not, he is happy because yeah. his son is saying he loves him on some level. And it is exactly what he didn't want. Yep. Yep. You know, you see all of that. Mm-hmm. By the way, Al Pacino twisted his ankle during this shoot and had to go to the hospital. And so it put them behind schedule. And this was one more reason that the studio wanted to fire Coppola. They're like, <laughs> oh, you're behind schedule. He's like, my actor is in the hospital. You know? Um, yeah. And what all that also meant is they didn't actually, weren't able to shoot the whole sequence. So when you're seeing close-ups, this is shot in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. All the close-ups. And when, when Tom shows up with Clemenza, that's shot in Los Angeles. Mm. The wide shots are all shot in New York everything the way this is done is so great Michael comes out tosses Enzo's flowers away get rid of these come here put your hand in your pocket like you have a gun you'll be alright and Michael man ice cold mm -hmm. ice cold because well, he's a soldier yeah he's been in, the, in a war or in a battle or close quarters before so he knows what to do in this moment you know what I, I never looked at did you see what his rank was no, I never did look at what his rank was. I'm curious if he was an officer. I think he was an officer, certainly, because he's wearing dress greens. Those are those are officer greens that he was wearing when he showed up at the at the wedding. They are. Because mm -hmm. uh, he's a Marine, right? Yeah. And then this car pulls up, and the music is ominous, and this is the moment. Michael looks, and then I love the unbuttoning of the jacket oh. and him just reaching his hand in. Right. That is amazing. Yeah. And the car pulls away. He did good. And Enzo pulls out that cigarette and can't light it. The shaking. Michael takes the lighter. And what he what's so interesting is it's not just that he lights the cigarette, but he lights the cigarette and looks at his hands. Yeah. And sees that his hands are steady as a rock. Yeah. What Coppola says about this moment, he says, as a director, you're always trying to find ways to make the audience understand what the character is feeling. Hmm. This is classic show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. Him mm -hmm. looking at his hands and seeing that they're steady right after he told his dad, I'm with you. That's him. Yeah. Oh, this is who I am, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. on some level. Yeah. And now the police show up. <laughs> and the great Sterling Hayden. Complete with complete with uh what's uh what do they call those things when they bring in sound from another sound? One of those like they bring in one of those sounds that are not actually from the film you're shooting. One of those mm. stock sounds of the car totally. breaking. You can hear that. Yeah, totally. Sterling Hayden comes out. The great Sterling Hayden. Hayden. Yeah. I thought I got all you guinea hoods locked up. What the hell are you doing here? He he is probably the actor who is was almost cast in more cinephiles movies because he was in, almost in Jaws and he was, there's so many times where it's like, well, the, I think it was uh, uh, maybe Dirty Dozen instead of Lee Marvin. Oh, wow. Like there were so many times where it's like 
Sterling Hayden was almost the guy, but then wasn't the guy. But here he is the guy. He's fantastic yeah. in his gruff, uh, racist, tough guy way. Yeah. And he and Michael, totally fearless, says, What happened to the men who were guarding my father, Captain? Why, you little punk. What the hell are you doing telling me my business? I pulled them guys off of here, huh? Now you get out of here and stay away from this hospital. I'm not moving until you put some guys around my father's room. Phil, take him in. And someone in the background says, the kid's clean. He's a war hero. Yeah. I had no idea who that is. Yeah, it's just one of the cops, right? Who is it? Sonny Grasso, the real guy who wrote The French Connection, the guy, Roy ah. Scheider's character. That's him. And it's like the same. It's like the year after The French Connection was made. Uh. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Authenticity, man. <laughs> totally. What's the tech paying you to set up my father, Captain? Take a hold of him. And he gives a, a huge punch, and Michael just goes down. Is a strong punch, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, once again, watching it now in 2020, Steve, a corrupt cop, a corrupt police officer selling himself out, making money on the side, hiring other police officers to... Uh, to uh, enact this corruption against an, you know, a, a son of immigrants, against an immigrant who's come to make his way in the world. There's a lot of levels looking at this now in 2020 in this moment. You know? And of course, later on, when Michael was lobbying for the papers to go after this police captain for what he did, uh, those moments kind of resonate harder for me than they have before. You know, A lot of people are taking a look at films uh, that glorify police or that have police as the central roles and kind of having second looks at them. I'm not agreeing that people need to, but certainly watching this film, uh, uh, I felt it as I was watching the scene with McCluskey. It carried more weight this time around than it has been passed. Two, you know, two things about this. There is something, this is unrelated mostly to The Godfather, but it's something mm. that I th occurred to me as we did, because we did The Untouchables, yeah, yeah. and then we did Mississippi Burning. And something occurred to me then that relates to what you were just saying that I never, I don't think I ever said uh -huh. is in both of those movies, there's the tough older guy who convinces the buy the book guy to move outside the rules of the law right. and beat up suspects and do what is never necessary to get the bad guy. And I went, how often in movies have we told the opposite story yeah. of the buy the book guy reining in the person going outside the lines in right. order to do things the right way. Right. And how much problem in we, cause the narrative is always look, cops got to do what cops got to do in order to get mm -hmm. the job done. Mm -hmm. And I'm sort of going thinking about today, like, well, how much bat, which one is worse? Yeah. You know, not going outside the law to get this bad guy or sometimes going outside the law in the ways that maybe we shouldn't. Right. That's not really related to The Godfather. What is related to The Godfather that also came up in Untouchables is the tension between the Irish-American community yeah. and the Italian-American community. Good point. Yeah. And there's this weird thing in America where because and, and this is this also is something came up in The Untouchables is the Irish and the Italians in the 30s and 40s and even 50s were not white yeah. in the way that we conceive of them today. Right. You know, that they were treated as a different race mm -hmm. and there was, you know, no Irish allowed, no Italian allowed. Right. Weren't allowed to have, so they weren't, you didn't want to marry your kids, you know, all these racial stereotypes. And there's this thing that always happens, which is like one oppressed group is against the other oppressed group. Yeah, yeah. You know, the Irish came to the America a little bit earlier than the Italians, 
and it established themselves as police and as mayors. Mm -hmm. And so they're keeping down the next generation of immigrants, which is the Italian immigrants. Yeah. You know, and that's something that happens in America over and over again. Yeah, agreed. I'm the attorney for the Corleone family. These men are private detectives hired to protect Vito Corleone. They're licensed to carry firearms. If you interfere, you'll have to appear before a judge in the morning and show cause. We're back to the compound. And Michael gets out of the car, sees all the guys with guns. What's with all the new faces? We don't need them now. After the hospital thing, Sonny got mad. We hit Bruno Tatalia at 4 o'clock this morning. So now we're in a war. And I wonder, I wonder if there's a missing scene between Tom and Sonny, where he tried to talk him out of hitting Bruno Tatalia, and Sonny was like, yeah, totally, no, you're right, you're right, you're right, I shouldn't do it, you're right, you're right, right, and then sends guys to do it or does it himself. Yeah. That's really possible. And I'm sure he was out with the guys doing it. Yes. I'm sure you're right, because he goes out to go have sex with the guys. Why wouldn't he go out to kill somebody with the guys? Why wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sonny's not having sex with the guys. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he goes out with the guys, and then he has sex is what I'm saying. Yes. Um, watch James Kahn's performance when we come in. He is glowing. Hey, listen to this. The turd, he wants to talk. He got you imagine a nerve on his son of a bitch, eh? Craps out last night, he wants a meeting today. What'd he say? What did he say? But a beep, but a bap, but a boop, but a beep. He wants us to send Michael to hear the proposition. And the promise is that the deal is so good that we can't refuse, eh? There's so much energy there. He feels like he's taken the power back from yeah. the fear that he had been feeling earlier, yeah. Well, you know what he's like, and this goes back to like, is he a good Don or is he not? He's the captain of the football team. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. he's not the coach. No. Like when he's out on the field, he's in his element. Right mm -hmm. now, in battle, he's feeling great. Yeah. Like Patton. You know, like you said, like Patton. Patton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, James Con. So Coppola made it a rule: I'm not going to meet with any mobsters. I don't want any. I'm making a movie. I'm totally separate. James Con, he found some tough guys and spent a lot of time with them. As Sonny would. As Sonny yeah. would. <laughs> well, it's funny going like you know, James Con is a tough Jew. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He like he is he is a tough guy, and yeah. so hanging out with tough Sicilians, it was all right. Yeah. You give him one message, I want Salazzo. If not, it's all out war. We go to the Some match. of the other families won't sit still. They may hear me, Salazzo. The father wouldn't want to hear this. This is business, not personal. They shot my father. Even the shooting of your father was business, not personal, Sonny. Well, then business will have to suffer, all right? Hey, listen, do me a favor, Tom. No more advice on how to patch things up. Just help me win, please, all right? And Tom tells talks about the McCluskey, the cop. Now, nobody has ever gunned down a New York police captain, never. This is where, by the way, you see the full Duvall. This yeah. is like the guy you're going to see later in Network and Apocalypse Now and Great Santini, the big... All the five families would come after you, Sonny. The Corleone family would be outcast. Even the old man's political protection would run for cover. And Sonny goes, okay, okay, we'll wait. Yeah. And this whole time, Michael's been sitting in the chair, quietly. Mm -hmm. Al Pacino... It's so funny for this guy that's such a grandiose actor later in his career. Yeah. The quietness of his power, which you see in this scene, is so strong. Yeah. Can't wait. Can't wait. is going to kill Pop. That's it. He's sitting in the chair, mm -hmm. and the camera does this very slow push in on Michael as he says, They want to have a meeting with me, right? It will be me, Kluski, and Salazzo. Let's set the meeting. 
get our informers to find out where it's going to be held. Now, we insist it's a public place, a bar, a restaurant, some place where there's people so I feel safe. I love that he says, so I feel safe. Yeah. That's a key to the manipulation. And by the way, so the camera's doing this real slow push in. Gordon Willis did not want to do this push in <laughs> because it was, bra- again, it's breaking the rules. We were going to have all these static shots. And I think it's because we haven't done a push in like this mm-hmm. very much that it has its power. Yeah. And Michael goes on. He's figured out the whole plan. He says, You're going to search me when I first meet them, right? So I can't have a weapon on me then. But if Clemenza can figure a way. To have a weapon planted there for me. Then I'll kill them both. And the reaction? Everyone bursts out laughing. (laughs) And Sonny in particular says... What are you going to do? Nice college boy, huh? They want to get mixed up in the family business? Now you want to gun down a police captain? Why, because he slapped you in the face a little bit? Huh? What do you think, this is the army where you shoot him a mile away? You got to get up close like this. and Bing, you blow their brains all over your nice cyber league suit. <laughs> Watch Al Pacino as James Caan comes at him with this. And yeah. he sort of does this little hand gesture. Mm-hmm. Like, just stay away from me. Yeah, don't hit you know? me. Uh, it's, it's the, this has been their relationship, Steve. He is, mm-hmm. Sonny is the braggadocio, aggressive, pushy older brother who's very passionate. Michael is the quiet, introspective who's had to deal with a brother like this. So when Sonny comes to him, he instinctively puts up his hand like this, as I'm sure, you know, I know it's a podcast, but he essentially puts up his hand in front of his face because he's shielding himself from Sonny in case Sonny slaps him or does something that maybe he's done in the past in their relationship, trying to accentuate a point at Mike's physical expense. It's funny because I've never interpreted it as he's worried about him physically, although that's perfectly reasonable, totally Mm -hmm. makes sense, particularly because he's got a broken jaw. Right. And by the way, they literally did wire Al Pacino's jaw shut. Oh, fuck. So he really can't open his mouth. Oh, no thanks, man. No thanks. Yeah. That's that's too Um, far. I've always interpreted it as more like emotions are very high, and he's like, don't don't come this close to me. Like, Mm. give me some space. Mm. But of course, your interpretation is perfectly, uh, totally could be correct. Here's what's interesting. This is not Sonny's reaction in the book. Mm. So in the book, everyone laughs except Sonny because Sonny has always been waiting. He always knew there was going to be a day where the real Michael would come out because he knew even though he was the youngest kid and the, 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 the smallest kid that he never quit a fight. Like you, once you had Michael against you, he would never quit. Hmm. And he knew what he knew that steel that my, his brother Michael had. Huh. So he expected this and goes, oh, shit, Michael's in. Yeah, that's his reaction in the book, and it's just such an yeah, and that's a perfectly good story point. Yeah, and Coppola goes to the opposite, which I think is more filmic. Yes, everyone laughs, and then he starts to go on this thing about how McCluskey. He goes to uh, Tom. He says, uh, "You know, the, the McCluskey is a dirty cop. Uh, he's involved with the drug rackets and all this kind of stuff. We have people on the payroll who work in the papers. They'd love a story like that." And Tom, to his credit, says. They might. They just might. He and he almost says it like with reverence, with respect for him, which uh, I I love that moment because this ends with as Tom sort of comes over to it and Al turns to James Con and says, "It's not personal, Sonny. It's strictly business." In that moment is the change in the relationship between him and Sonny. Yeah, he just stares yeah. at him with those cold eyes. 
You know, it's really powerful stating his case. Well, and this is why this is such a great film. Because mm-hmm. you watch Al Pacino, his the evolution of his character, step by step, in this moment of it's not personal, it's strictly business. Yeah. That's a huge change. Mm-hmm. And we cut to a gun being lowered into frame. It's as cold as they come. Impossible to trace. So you don't worry about Prince Mike. Um, I love the set, by the way, that they're in. They're just in like a tiny little basement. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, and then he says, okay, now what do you, he's going over the plan. What do you do next? Oh, I sit down and finish my dinner. <laughs> and this is the detail. Just let your hands drop to your side and let the gun slip out. Now, I don't know why it's so important that he leaves the gun. Mm. But filmically, it's great. Because what, what Coppola said, you know, I think I said it in the last part, he always wants a detail right. of a death. Right. You know, leave the cannoli. Or take the leave the gun, take the cannoli, you know the 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 knife in the hand and the dark face of Luca Brazzi. Mm-hmm. Here they say this multiple times: drop the gun. Yeah. And what Coppola has done by doing this is he's making you, the audience, think about it. So when he does the murder, you're going, "Is he going to drop the gun?" Mm-hmm. Um, I love I love Clemenza's description of what he should do. So walk out of the place real fast, but you don't run. Don't look nobody directly in the eye, but you don't look away either. Yeah. That's t- okay. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah. Um, and then you take a long vacation and we catch hell. Yeah. These things, these things got to happen every every few years. You know, it's, it's been like 10 years since we had one. It gets rid of the bad blood. It resets everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> We're eating Chinese food. Yeah. This is another Coppola detail that, again, a Jewish director would never have the Italians eating Chinese food out of boxes. Mm. But Coppola, who grew up in New York with Italians know that they love Chinese food. Yeah. And of course, he had to make sure that the boxes were exactly the right boxes they would have had in 1946. <laughs> um, of course he does. Louis' restaurant in the Bronx. Anybody know this joint? Yeah, sure, I do. It's perfect for us. They got an old-fashioned toilet in the, the box and the chain thing, and we might be able to tape a gun behind it. Yeah. And then Clemenza gives a plan. He's like, all right. You go to a restaurant, you eat, you talk for a while, you relax. You make them relax. Then you get up and you go take a leak. Or better still, you ask for permission to go. Then when you come back, you come out blasting. And don't take any chances. Two shots in the head apiece. Hey, listen, I want somebody good, and I mean very good, to plant that gun. I don't want my brother coming out of that toilet with just his dick in his hands, all right? Mm-hmm. Fair. It's all, it's all so great. And as Michael's leaving, Sonny hits it. We're going to hit this detail again. He tell you to drop the gun? Yeah, a million times. Yeah. Watch how these guys say goodbye to each other. Yeah. It's real. Sonny and and tender. Yeah. Yeah, You know, the hug, kiss. I love it. And because you get, um, it's the last moment with him and Sonny. Yeah. And you don't know it as you're watching the movie, right? It's the last moment with him and Sonny, but there's there's a weight to it and a power to it and it's i wonder yeah i mean it's the uh, yeah yeah anyway it's just i just wonder about it and um what do you wonder about if he maybe yeah yeah i wondered if maybe he like in the character of michael maybe pacino threw in a level because i've always wondered this as i watched the scene threw in a level of like he knew sonny was gonna die 
Mm. Like maybe he knew like if this pulls, if this goes up and he also didn't know if he was going to die. Do you know what I'm saying? So this hug carries so much more extra weight because they know if he survives, he's gone to Italy. And if he doesn't, if, he, if, if, if it doesn't go well, he's going to get killed. So he's essentially saying goodbye to his brother, right? One way or another. And there's, it's a life and death goodbye. It isn't like I'm off to a vacation for a couple of months. I'll see you in a little bit, right? I'll say I miss you till then. This is more of a, like there's more weight to the goodbye because anything can happen. And maybe, just maybe, underneath it all is Michael thinking, well, even if I do survive, I just, I just know Sonny's going to find a way to get himself killed because he's too emotional. It just, it's not the right. He can't do it, you know. And I just wonder about it when I watched it this time. Like how much there's, is possibly there's- there. There's certainly a lot there. I mean, yeah. that, it's certain. I think that's a perfectly that that because I think this is the last tender moment, you know, between like, them, between the certainly family. Yeah, between them. Well, yeah. well, and it's it's so funny because so if you think about one of the things I've thought about a lot is like you think about the '80s movie, yeah, and the, like the perfectly structured Back to the Future, Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is what the movie is about: beginning, middle, and end. Right. All the you know everything wrapped up in a bow, and those are great. And I yeah. love movies like that. Yep. Yep. 70s movies aren't like that. 70s nope. movies are, you're just having this experience. Yeah. And what's so interesting, I think The Godfather might be the best example of a movie that is a 70s film and yeah. is, it doesn't drift, but it doesn't telegraph anything. Right. You know, and yet the more you analyze it, the more perfectly structured it is. Yep. And because th- this is a movie about a family falling apart in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And it is a movie that starts with the closest moment of the family at a wedding. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's a, it's also a movie about a person in Al Pacino's character who doesn't want to be part of the family, who becomes the center of the family. Right. He says at the beginning, that's my family. That's not me. Right. And the more Michael, who's most separate from the family at the most together moment of the family at the wedding, Mm -hmm. the more he moves into the center of the family, the more the love that we saw at the beginning ceases to exist. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so so structurally, it's really all there. And that's why this moment is so it's so tender. Yeah. You know, is that other than Apollina, this is the last tender moment we see for Michael in the film. Yeah. You know, or in his life. Right. You know. It's, um, it's only to yeah right Apollonia is the last moment the, when she yeah. explodes in the car that's the end of any kind of that's emotion it. Michael yeah. has except for his father right uh, he's waiting in front of Dempsey's the car comes and picks him up he's in the front seat Salazzo's in there he says I'm glad you came Mike I hope we can straighten everything out and I, I love how Al Pacino plays this or Michael plays this I'm gonna straighten everything out tonight I don't want my father bothered anymore McCloskey goes, he's a good kid. Sorry about the other night. <laughs> night. And then he, sh- I love how he frisks him from behind. Yeah. Um, you know, a, from, from, yeah. Yeah. He says, first a thousand young punks. <laughs> uh, he's great. And we're driving. This is all poor man's process, by the way, which is what we said many times. We're just in a dark room, yeah. bouncing some lights and someone bouncing the car a little bit to make it shake. And the car pulls onto the bridge and we're in Michael's POV and the sign says to New Jersey. New Jersey? And Salazzo says maybe. Uh, because the restaurant's supposed to be in the Bronx. Right. The whole plan is dependent upon going to the Bronx. Right. And the tension is building and then just at the last moment this car does a U-turn on the bridge, pulls off the bridge and now heads to the Bronx. Right. I do want to point something out here, Steve, in this scene. This is Michael becoming a gangster once and for all, right? And I'll tell you what, the way they shoot it, the 
the correcting of the hat. He looks almost like little mm. like a uh, um Edward G. Robinson. Sure. Uh, in uh, in Little Caesar, like he is, you know, he's got the jacket on. He's got he's got the hat. He's adjusting. The hat, he's cutting his hair. Like this isn't the military guy we saw at the beginning of the movie. This isn't the kid sitting on the bench anymore. No. This is Michael going into battle, putting on his uniform, uh, putting on his camos, putting on his like he's coming and his weapon's going to be waiting for him when he gets to that restaurant for that for the for the hand essentially a hand to hand combat. And so it's like this is what I see in this. Sequence is him assuming the role of the gangster uh, once and for all. And the hat is just so essential to me. And the way that Coppola yeah. puts it in frame, that he corrects it and what have you. It's, you know, he's uh, he's putting on a whole new uniform for a new war, basically. Totally. Absolutely. And we're now going to the battleground because we're at yeah. Louis' restaurant. And I think, as I said before, in Coppola's giant notebook, this is the scene with the most notes. And one of the things he always had was pitfalls. Pitfall mm. for this scene is rushing it. Yeah. Don't go too fast. Right. And we're quiet because we can't speak while the waiter's around who delivers some wine. Mm -hmm. I love that Sterling Hayden says, How's the Italian food in this restaurant? There's <laughs> something about say, asking how's the Italian. It's like, it's like, you know, John, I take you to a Vietnamese restaurant and you say, how's the Vietnamese food in this restaurant? It's like, you could just say, how's the food? Yeah, right, right. But, you but know, it, he's a racist, so why would he? You know? know. But apparently the veal is the best in the city. Um, and Michael's just staring at him. And man, the, the danger in his eyes at yeah. this moment. Yeah. And again, long pause while the wine gets uncorked and we hand Michael a glass and... I'm going to speak Italian to Mike. Go ahead. What's interesting in this movie is there are a bunch of times where we subtitle the Italian. Mm -hmm. And in this scene, we don't. Right. This is what I, I, that struck me this time as well that they don't. I mean, you get what there's, and maybe because I speak Spanish, I can like, the, some of the words are similar to Italian. So I can, I've always gotten what the point of the scene was and what he's trying to say. But I wonder for people who don't speak any foreign language if they understand the points that Salazzo is making. I think it's, so I took Spanish in high school. Mm. I do not speak Spanish, but I know a lot of, I know some Spanish vocabulary, yeah. but I think they somehow wrote this in a way that is using specific Italian words that are so recognizable, yeah, like yeah. padre. He says, you know, tu padre and but, antique, you know, it's like, I know what an antique, oh, your, your father's old fashioned. Yeah. You know, right. like point. I, I'm just curing little words mm -hmm. That make it make sense. You know, we, we hear that, you know, because he says, You know, it's like, oh, you, you respect your father a lot. Like, I'm, right. I'm getting what they're talking about. Yeah. You know, and the choice yeah. to not subtitle sort of sort of fascinating. Yeah. And then um, the waiter comes. And again, we go silent. And we cut to this high angle shot. Gordon Willis didn't want to shoot a high angle. Right. He's breaking the rules. And Coppola's reason was, Look, Dean Tavalaris put a lot of time ripping out the old linoleum floor and putting this <laughs> tile floor in. We need to shoot it. <laughs> um, and there's this moment where Michael is struggling for his words mm -hmm. and says, Como se dice? You know, yeah. and and then says, and you could see the intensity and his jaw is really wired shut yeah. and trying to speak through it. It says, what I want. What I want. What's most important to me is that I have a guarantee. 
No more attempts on my father's life. What guarantees can I give you, Mike? I am the hunted one. I missed my chance. You think too much of me, kid. I'm not that clever. Here's the thing I was thinking. Mm -hmm. If Salazzo had made some kind of guarantee, would yeah. Michael still have killed him? No. Uh, yes, I think Michael still would have killed him because Michael says it in the room. We can't wait. Salazzo's going to kill Pop. That's it. So he knows that no matter what guarantees get given here, he doesn't trust Salazzo. Uh, the the um, U-turn that he does there, um, the way he's played this whole thing, even attempting to kill his dad, like Michael would never have trusted Salazzo uh, in the long run. I do think Tom is wrong. I think Tom wanting to make the deal, wanting peace, sometimes just because you're the most level-headed person in the room doesn't mean you're making the right decision. And I think Tom is wrong to want to negotiate with Salazzo. I think to hand over the stuff that they want to hand over at Salazzo's request and, of course, behind-the-scenes Barzini's request would have crippled the family uh, at that time. And so what is going on here, Mike, I think Michael knows he's got to get rid of Salazzo so they can reclaim top dog status amongst the five families again in New York. So I don't think in any way, no matter what Salazzo said, Michael was going to believe him. He was going to kill him one way or another because he believed Salazzo would kill his dad no matter what. No matter what. That's what I. Th so that's what I thought in the past. Mm -hmm. And watching it this time, I think Michael is going to kill him no matter what. Yeah. But I think there is a. He wasn't. He didn't one hundred percent know he was going to do it until the answer to this question. If that mm -hmm. makes sense, okay. is that if Salazzo had come up with some plan, yeah, that Michael felt comfortable, he might. I think he might not have. Okay. I don't think that it was possible for Salazzo to say anything at this moment that would have done that. Right. Um, the other thing I think is that I think, so Tom is not a genius. You know right. what I mean? Right. Vito is a genius. Michael is a genius. Right. Tom is a very practical, straightforward, calm businessman. Yes. Like, this is what has to be done. Mm -hmm. I think Vito would have made the deal. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that Vito wasn't going to kill Barzini and Salazzo down the road. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He Vito is per, like okay, strange analogy. Remember how I said <laughs> that Coppola agreed for Brando to have a screen test, put down a million dollar bond, and work for cheap, knowing that he would never do all of those things. Yeah, that's what Vito would do. Yeah. Oh sure, we'll make a deal. We'll make a deal. We'll be reasonable men. We can reason together. Yeah. And then, he, and but he would have the plan, which is exactly what Michael does. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when Vito leaves the meeting with the five families, that's when he knows it's Barzini. And then later on, he's talking to Michael basically about how they're going to come at him and how Michael has to take them out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but he doesn't get a guarantee. And then Michael says, I have to go to the bathroom. Is that all right? And McCluskey's like, you gotta go, you gotta go. <laughs> so oblivious. Yeah. But now Salasso frisks him again. Yeah. Michael heads off to the bathroom. It's all so amazing. The yeah. sound design, the set design. This is, by the way, the actual bathroom in that restaurant. Oh, but wow. They did, yeah, but they did have to add the old-fashioned toilets. Right. And he reaches behind the tank. And again, as a director, he could reach right up, find it right away. Yeah. But it's better that he doesn't. It takes a little while. It's hard to pull that gun out. And we hear the sounds of the train while we're in the restaurant. We cut back to the dining room for a moment, hear the trains, and then we're back with Michael and he 
brings himself together, walks back into the restaurant, cameras behind him. And of course, Clemenza said, you come out guns blazing. Yeah. He's not supposed to sit down. Right. But he does sit down. And we hear Salazzo speaking in Italian. It doesn't matter what he's saying. And then the camera just slowly pushes in. Just watch Al Pacino's eyes. Mm-hmm. The performance and the intensity and the all the thoughts mm-hmm. in his mind. It, it's just absolutely amazing. And this is why you fight to cast someone like Al Pacino. Because you know what your movie needs and you know what he can bring to the table. And that slow close-up is is evidence all on its own of of Coppola making the right decision here because you see him just like you said, Steve. We saw him earlier sitting on that bench thinking. He is right here thinking. Once I pull this trigger, there's no going mm-hmm. back. You know, there's no going back to for, to the life I had. I'm essentially killing the life I had with Kay, killing the life I had in the military, killing the life I had and the dreams I had to go straight, the dreams I had to not be a part of my family. In to this be a governor, moment. a senator, yeah, to all be of president it. of the United States. It's all States. gone. It's all, all gone. gone in this moment. Yeah. If I do and, this. Yeah. And this is a, a Walter Murch, who's the sound guy on this, mm. who's later one of the great editors of all time. The train sound is oh, his yeah. idea. And that building screech of the train is so powerful. And then Michael stands up, shoots Salazzo in the head, shoots McCluskey in the throat, which is yeah. what's in the book. And in the book, it says there's a spray of blood when he shoots Salazzo, which there is. Mm-hmm. He, um, Coppola, one of his notes in his notebook was that the the fork, McCluskey's fork, be in midair. You know? And again, it's these little tiny details that makes the scene so memorable. Yeah. He hits the table, which flips over. And then there's just huge stun reaction. And it was really important as Michael turns to walk out, don't drop the gun right away. Yeah. Because all of us are thinking, we've heard it a couple of times, you got to drop the gun, you got to drop the gun. And we're going, is he going to drop the gun? And so just that second and a half of hesitation makes it even better. And the music hits. And we cut back to these dead bodies. And this, so we said... Studio didn't want Al Pacino. Mm. They were constantly talking about firing Coppola. They were constantly unhappy with what they were seeing of Al Pacino's performance. This is the scene that kept Al Pacino and kept Coppola on the payroll Mm -hmm. to finish making The Godfather. That's good. And it makes sense. Uh, Yeah, he flips the gun instead of just letting it slide down. He makes it to his... And then I'm going to ask you a question in a second after I say this, but also the way that they're framed... Um, in the camera, it is a color version of what you see pictures of gangland slayings from that time. Coppola knew exactly how to frame that shot so it would remind people of pictures they've seen of gangland slayings in black and white uh, from the 40s and the, and, and the 30s, you know, and I thought that was brilliant. The reality, the blood spray, the, uh, the you know, the, the, the wide open mouth of the strewn body, you know, all of that is uh, there on purpose for effect. And it's brilliant. So let me ask you this, Steve. Yes. Has Michael Corleone ever killed anybody before this moment? Yes. You in do. War. So why is yeah. he so unsettled by the killing? I think it's, exa- this is my feeling. Of course, we don't know. We right. know he's a That's war hero. That's what I'm hero. asking. Do you think, he, we, yeah, but is he a war hero for having killed people or a war hero for yeah. having saved people? 
So, so yeah, we we don't know the answer, mm-hmm. but I think it's exactly what Sonny said. It's not like you're killing someone from a distance with a rifle. Good point. It's so. you are up close and you get brains all over your nice Ivy League suit. Yeah, it's a whole other ballgame. Well, and, and the thing is, I mean, there are obviously killing someone is I mean, it's a huge thing. It is yeah. the but killing someone in war and murdering two people in a restaurant. Mm. That's different. That's my feeling. What's your feeling? Yeah, I I think um, I wonder because I don't know how much Sonny knows about. I don't know how much Michael told him. I don't know how much you know. He's a war hero, so we don't know why he's a war hero. We don't know what he did, who he saved, or whatever. But clearly, he's never had an upfront and close killing like this. Yeah, um, and obviously, obviously, the weight of the moment too, right? The the fact that he now is a stone cold murderer. This isn't this is war, but it isn't war. You know what I'm saying? And so mm-hmm. his killing of these two men in cold blood is the end of what we had said or what I had said earlier that his the, the end of the life he had before. So the all the weight of it all comes on him in that moment. But he's nervous. He turn, you know, he he lingers, then turns, flips the gun. Uh, it makes a very loud noise when it hits the ground instead of being able to just slide down his leg and down. So all of it is huge uh, for him. And it's it's the only time he kills until he kills his brother, I think, right? It's the only other well, time. He doesn't kill his brother, though. Well, I'm mean, sorry. He has his brother killed. No, I guess that then is this no, the only murder he commits that we see on screen in any of the Godfather movies? That he actually, I don't remember Godfather Three very well, but I think so. Yeah, I think he I mean is. everything else is him. He orders a lot of people yeah, killed. So I think it's the first, it's the only time he kills someone or people rather in all three movies. So, yeah, very interesting moment for sure. Uh, by the way, I don't know if I'm gonna I'll cut this in or use it at mm. all, but I just because then I really got curious. I just went on, on and looked it up. He was a captain, according yes. to Captain of the Marines. Yeah. And the dress greens he's wearing, and like I said, you can cut this out if you want. The dress greens he's wearing is usually what you wore from September through April, but then after the war, they allowed you to wear the dress greens for certain occasions. It was his choice to wear the dress greens when he wanted to wear them. So mm. maybe the wedding is in April, in spring rather than in summer, but it certainly feels like summer. Yeah, it's yeah. Well, it's New York. I mean, it wouldn't. It's it's certainly not winter. We know that. No, I know it's not winter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. All right. Well, and this was the moment that was going to be the intermission. Oh, okay. This was, and and it was Evans who said, "No intermission. Don't let up." <laughs> That's smart. I I like intermissions. Yeah. I like you know if you're seeing a big long movie, I like intermissions. Yeah, I like three hours s- is a long way to go without a pee break. It is, and the score, listening to the score again to get you back into the mood of yeah. the movie, I think is a great gift too with, with the intermissions for sure. And now we cut to, it's so funny because you just mentioned how Coppola framed the bodies to look like these old newspapers. And that's what we see is that they're actually photographs from old newspapers of these bodies. They're real. Again, mostly shot by George Lucas. And now we're in sort of the montage of the war. Mm -hmm. You know, we heard Clemenza say all hell's going to break loose. And that's what we see. The music, by the way, is a piece written by Carmine Coppola. Oh, Okay. And it is Carmine who is playing the piano in one yeah. of the scenes. And I love that, you know, Francis put a, a put a holster, a shoulder holster on his dad <laughs> while he's playing the piano. Um, and we hear that Barzini was questioned. We see lots of bodies. We see them, you know, eating a, a bunch of pasta. We see the spaghetti going in the trash, which is very symbolic of, of death. We see these mm. guys, including Clemenza, sleeping on the mattresses because we're going to the mattresses. Mm-hmm. And then we hear a headline or see a headline that... 
Vito Corleone is going home. Yeah. And we're back at the compound. There are reporters there. There are cops there. The ambulance pulls in. Um, the bed comes into the house. And they carry the bread up the stairs. <laughs> Here's something I didn't know. So Brando liked practical jokes. Yes, he did. So he uh, was lying in this bed. And it was him really getting carried up on these stairs. Before he got in the bed, he got a bunch of pieces of lead and put them in the bed with him. Son so the bitch. bed was like, it was like 300 and something pounds. Son of a bitch. <laughs> they had to carry it up over and over again. He's a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> right? And again, there's babies crying. There's chaos there. It all feels like family. What's the matter with you, Carl? Shut up and sit the table. They, uh, they do a very good job of making us hate that guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Carlo's a dick. Um, and we're back in the bedroom. Everyone's around him. And Tom's sort of bringing him up to date and about what's been going on. Sonny hit them. We hit them back. And you can see Sonny and Tom are worried about what Vito's going to think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Did we handle this right? And there's so much going on. Brando doesn't say a word. And there's so much going on as he takes all this in. Mm-hmm. Um. And we hear we're sending Fredo to Vegas. And Fredo's like, I'm going into the casino business. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then the Don says, where's Michael? And Tom leans in and tells him. It was Michael who killed Salazzo. I love Vito's reaction. He closes his eyes, turns his head away. And just that hand gesture of, leave me. Yeah. Because that's not, it's not what he wanted. Nope. And they knew it. That's why they hesitated to tell him. Yeah. Um, I will say one thing, though. I mean, the way you portray, I want to be a little more uh, uh, fair to Fredo. Fredo's kind of in a shit position. Uh, True. And he's not, you know, pushed in, which is what leads to his explosion in Godfather 2. But he's in there. He's, I'm, I'm going to learn the casino. But he, I think he's trying to convince himself to be happy totally. about this situation, being sent away from his father. He feels the guilt of not of fumbling the gun and not being able to shoot these guys uh, when his father was shot. It was shot on his watch. So it's this idea like one's one was sent away in um, in with the nobility and uh, and a hero type of atmosphere. Right, Michael is sent away to Italy because after having done this incredible thing to avenge his father, Fredo's being sent away to Vegas to get him out of the way because yep. he embarrassed the family. So they're putting him under Mo Green's thumb. It's two different people getting sent away at the same time for two completely different reasons. It, it, it's there might be a whole movie to make of young Fredo. Oh, like how did Fredo yes. get to be where Fredo is? Yeah. You know, the middle kid between this super strong personality, Sonny and this mm-hmm. super powerful character, Michael, and who's loves his dad and what yeah. ends up happening to him. It actually is. A, and even, even through the story of Godfather too, like how, yeah. what is his meetings with whoever he meets with for his betrayals? Like how does that, what is his right. life with Mo Green? Like with Johnny Olin as well in Godfather too. You're right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you can do a Cobra Kai, you can do a Fredo Kai. Let's reimagine <laughs> it through a different person where Michael and Sonny are the villains sure. in Fredo's life. And Tom well, is the villain in Fredo's life. Well, I mean, this is the thing. It's like, A, Michael is a villain. Right. You know, I mean, that's, we, we might really care for him, which yeah. I certainly do, because I, but he's a bad person. He is a bad person. Um, And and the thing, too, that I was just thinking about that had never occurred to me until this moment, Michael's the guy that goes, I don't want to be in the family business. Mm-hmm. And yet, 
who's in the room right after dad gets shot? Michael is there. Yeah. Where's Fredo's not there. Right. Who's in the room when they're coming up with all the plans? Michael is there. Fredo's yep. not there. Fredo's not there. You're right. He is not included in this. He's never trusted by the family. Nope. Nope. You know? And Tom, again, it's the same thing. Settle down. Yeah. If you go after the Kralia, all hell's oh, going to break God. loose. Let, let the smoke clear. Pop can negotiate. No, Pop can't do nothing until he's better. I'm going to decide what's going to be All right, but your war's me. costing us a lot of money. Nothing's coming in. We it's can't not. do business. Well, neither can they. Don't they worry don't about it. Please, don't worry about it. We can't afford a stalemate. Well, then there ain't no more stalemate. I'm going to end it by killing that old bastard. It's so, because these are powerful actors. Yeah. You know, yeah. Duval and Khan going toe-to-toe. Yeah. And then this is the line, man. Well, you just do what I tell you to do. God damn it, if I had a wartime consigliere of Sicilian, I wouldn't be in a shape. Pop that Jenko, look what I got. Tom's reaction is great. And Sonny's too. Sonny immediately. I'm sorry. Look, uh, Mom made some food. Because, you know, you know, because he does love his brother. He does love. I mean, he, remember, Sonny found Tom and brought him yeah. home to the house. So their connection, you could argue, is just as strong as Sonny has with Michael or Fredo. It's a strong, strong connection. So it's like in the, even in that moment when he yells too much, he catches himself a few seconds later and he apologizes, you know, because he knows he's a fucking hothead. That's why I don't think he's a bad Don. I think Sonny understands that he's a hothead. He just can't control himself in certain moments. But that's but why he's, he's a bad able Don. to be pulled back. He's able to be pulled back by Tom. Sometimes. Right. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes not. Right. I mean, the, it, he is a hothead. He knows he's a hothead, but that's right. also why he's a bad Don. You know, mm-hmm. you don't, you don't, you don't want a Don to be a hothead. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that's just that's what I think. Um, I feel like John Gotti was a fucking hothead, and he was pretty successful. So I think some of these Dons are hotheads. I just think it's a different situation. Sure. Uh, but yeah, but I see your point. Absolutely. You know, I just. I don't know. I'm just trying to find fun conversation, fun new angles into the movie. <laughs> of course, it's a good conversation to have. Well, and and as we said before, in in certain circumstances, Sonny's exactly who you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that just occurred to me from what you were saying, I was like, I never thought about that. Tom is insecure, mm. and because and what I think is when we see him when we see him in in Hollywood. Oh yeah, he's so smooth. He's sure. got it all together. And I suddenly went, well, he's the Irish guy, German-Irish, not a Sicilian. He's supposed to be a Sicilian to be to have this gig. And he knows it. And I think in a weird way, it's a weird thing I'm about to say, but his confidence, his veneer of confidence comes from overcoming insecurity, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like he knows I have to be perfect. Right, right. I have to be perfectly smooth because I'm in this tenuous position and I'm always worried and what Sonny says in this moment, if I had a real concierge, a Sicilian, mm-hmm. you know, Papa Genko, look what I got. Yeah. You know, that's why do you, right why do you say Genko? It's Genko. Genko. Yeah. Genko's. I'm just saying. stupid. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I didn't know if maybe I'd missed a. a it's, fu- it's so funny. A, a, a buddy of mine, I, I don't know if you saw it, it was on Twitter, yeah. uh, commented on uh, that sometimes we refer to someone by their first name, sometimes oh, by the last yeah. name, sometimes that's, character name. That's your friend. I didn't want to respond to him, but I didn't appreciate the allu- the, uh, the implication <laughs> that we, it's an L.A. thing. Uh, <laughs> we're just talking about them as we talk about them, but we're not going to go, well, Mr. Khan in this moment and Mr. Pacino says in this moment, I'm, and I'm not going to go James Khan says in this moment. You know, Well, it's know such a funny thing because it's like 
He's, uh, like I had a realization because I, I, one of the scenes I do in my classes is yeah. from Crimson Tide. Oh, and yeah. I just and it's the scene where they're having dinner. It's great, oh, great right. scene. Yeah, it is. And scene. one of the things I realized because I taught this over and over and over again is I would always say Denzel does this and Hackman does this. Right. And I was like, I never say Gene does this and Washington does this. Right. I right. always refer to Denzel's. We always refer to Denzel by his first name. Yeah. And we always refer to Hackman by his last name. Right. You know, I don't say Robert and James in the scene. I say Duval and Khan. Right. Or sometimes, and it's just such an interesting thing. And anyway, the reason, because you brought up the, the Jenko thing. Yeah. I, one of the things I said is like, I'm always paranoid that I'm mispronouncing things. Really? Like, all the time. All the time. You rarely, uh, rarely do it. Yeah. Well, it, but <laughs> that's like, why you know. I question myself when you do, because I go, wait. Does he, did he do research and this is the actual pronunciation? Like, I really question myself. <laughs> but then I remember I'm... they do say Jenko in the movie oh, a number Jenko. of times. So I was like, okay, I want to make sure. No, but I'm glad that I've snowed you yeah, <laughs> so much true. that you actually question yourself rather than thinking I'm getting it wrong. Well, I just trust it, you. Well, just, well, I appreciate yeah. that. It, you know, it drives me nuts whenever I hear myself <laughs> do something wrong. And because I'm editing it, so I hear it multiple times. Oh, right. Fair point. Fair point. The, the worst one, the worst one of all time, and I know we'll, then we'll move on, yeah. is uh, when I kept saying when we did Life of Brian, and I kept saying Sermon on the Mound yeah. instead of Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> and just yeah. like, and I think I said it five times, you know? <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> that was certainly a digression. <laughs> uh, we're having a nice meal. Uh, Sonny's talking business. Well, Papa never talked business at the table in front of the kids. Hey, shut up, Connie. Hey, don't you ever tell her to shut up. You got that? Mom's line is the most interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Don't interfere. Don't interfere. Yeah. That is, that is, that is the culture. Yep. That is tradition. That's, yep. this is the husband and the wife. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, but this is a perfect reversal. You know, Sonny, Tom, I'd like to talk to you maybe after dinner. I could be doing a lot more for the family. We don't discuss business at the table. <laughs> little shot at Carlo, yeah. I love that the next thing we do is we're just alone with Fredo and Vito in the room. Yeah. Fredo didn't leave. No. He stays because he loves his father. He does, he and he feels him. guilty. He loves his father, yeah. and he feels terrible about what happened. Yeah. We're in Sicily. It was really shot in Sicily. Unsurprisingly, the studio was against it. Coppola had to fight and fight and fight to get the money to go shoot in Sicily. He says it was the image of Al Pacino walking with the shepherds through the, through Sicily that made him know he had a casting. That makes sense. It's so interesting to me. And he's with these two guards with rifles and this guy, Don Tomasino, is an older guy, pulls up. And he's basically responsible for him and that enemies know that he's in Sicily and they're looking for him. And he goes, where are you guys going? He goes, I'm going to Corleone because, of course, Vito's real last name is not Corleone. Mm -hmm. That's the town that he came from. And Don Tomasino was like, well, take my car. He's like, no, I want to walk. I totally get this. Like the I'm going back to the place of my family heritage and I want to walk the ground to it to get there. Have you ever been to Bolivia? Yes, when I was seven years old. Wow. Uh, I've never been back, uh, but yeah, we went when I was seven years old. I remember. I have I have memories of it when I went. Um, my brother went more recently in uh, in the nineties, late nineties, with my dad, 
Uh, and my mom has been back uh, a couple times. My dad went a few times. My dad went more than anybody in the family. My dad went more times to Bolivia than Bolivia back to Bolivia than anybody else. But you know, I'm, I will find my way back there because Lindley's gone. To, Lindley's uh, vacationed in Peru with her family, so she loved it. She did the Machu Picchu thing. So at some point, we'll, uh, if if we're blessed with a good fortune, you know, to have the financial ability to do so, uh, I think I'd like to go to South America at least one more time before I pass. You know, with my, with her. So yeah, I would love to do the Machu Picchu thing. Mm. Uh, my mom's been there. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds just amazing. I, 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 Bolivia is such a. Where, where, where's your family from? Uh, yeah, Bolivia. Both my no, parents. No, I mean, I mean, where specific in La Paz or? Oh yeah, my mom from La Paz, my dad from Cochabamba, and for people who are watching, Cochabamba is where Sosa is from in Scarface. When they mm. when they pan to that, uh, you know, the his villa amongst the mountains, uh, it says Cochabamba, Bolivia in red, and that's where my uh, my dad was from. Um, of course, my mom from the capital. Yeah, right. Because mm-hmm. um, I just think of you know. This is this is Michael's first. I think I'm assuming this is his first time in Sicily. A thousand percent. Yeah, first time and, there. Yeah, and what he is taking in and how this is transforming him is really mm-hmm. interesting. They make it to Corleone. There's an old church, and it's interesting. Again, we just did Patton. Mm-hmm. Patton is you know liberated Sicily. That yeah. was his big battle was marching up through Sicily to the bottom of Italy. Right. Um, and we have Americans driving by, and I love the Italians. Love the Americans. Hey, hey, hey! Thank you to the American GI Clark And then we see some young women, and Michael gets hit by the thunderbolt. Oh man, Apollonia! This is a. Uh, sim- Simonetta Stefanelli. Stefanelli. Okay. I just talked about my pronunciation issues. <laughs> Simonetta Stefanelli. Sure. That I is like her it. name. Yeah. Um, and she is such an amazingly unique beauty. Yeah. Agreed. You know, absolutely stunning. <gasps> totally yeah. herself. Mm-hmm. Not made up in a crazy way yeah, or anything natural. like that. Very it's a natural. natural. Beauty, yeah. Um, and I love too that that we hear, as 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 they say in Sicily, women are more dangerous than shotguns. <laughs> and then we hear a Sicilian sort of variation on the Godfather theme. Yeah. We also hear that there's a lot of guys who have died. Why have they died? Because of vendetta. Yeah, which right. is something that's going to come up in Godfather Two as well. For sure. And they come to a nice cafe and guy comes out who runs the cafe and they're chatting and chatting about the girls and he's talking about girls and they saw some beauties and my friend got hit with a thunderbolt and then they start describing this girl. She would tempt the devil himself and the guy's laughing and talks about her body and her hair and her mouth and she's she's got a purple dress with a purple ribbon, more Greek than Italian. And the reaction. Yeah. Is strong. See, and this is the hypocrisy of men. Uh, (laughs) Men in this one scene is the hypocrisy of men in 1972. He was more than willing to join in with the dudes talking about a woman's body and her breasts and her butt and her look and everything like that. Um, But the second, as long as it was someone else's daughter, but the second it was his daughter, oh, don't you dare, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, 
what the fuck? What's your consistency here? So that's the thing at the, I think is always the hypocrisy of men. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just a truth. It's a fact. You know, the moon is in the sky at night. There's men that there's hypocrisy within men when it comes to your sister or your mom or your cousin or someone you're related to. The way other men speak about them, if they speak in the same manner, the way you speak about other women, all of a sudden you get pissed and don't realize the hypocrisy, the fact that you're upset only because you're related to this person. Never mind that this woman is related to other people, you know, as well. So I just I find that to be a little bit of hypocrisy. Of course it is. It's 100 percent. Well, and particularly because men know how terrible men can be. Exactly. That's why. uh, Yeah. And that's why men you know, get gray hair when they have daughters because they understand what's coming. Um, And he kind of storms out and it's like, oh, crap, this guy is his daughter. Let's get the hell out of here. You know, let's leave. This is big trouble. And and uh, Michael says, tell him to come out here again. This is in uh, Coppola's notebook is like this is the moment that he says you must see that he could be the Don. Yep. It's not just his strength to murder the guys. It's not just his um, presence of mind at the hospital. It's to sit back and have that power, mm-hmm. which he does. Yeah. I apologize if I offended you. To this piece is a low face. Yeah, I'm a stranger in this country. And I meant no disrespect to you or your daughter. They had practiced this whole speech in Italian. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Al Pacino didn't speak Italian. Right. He also uh, couldn't dance and couldn't drive a car. These are all things that he was supposed to be able to do in the movie. And as they're practicing him saying the speech in Italian, and it's not going very well, that's what gives Coppola the idea to have it translated, which is so much better. Mm -hmm. Same thing before. If this thing that he didn't want didn't happen, he wouldn't have come up with this great idea. Right. You know, if Brando doesn't show up fat to Apocalypse Now, you don't have the ending of Apocalypse Now. Yeah. 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 You know, that's that's where Coppola's greatness is or one of the places his greatness is. Yeah. And his speech is so powerful and respectful. Yeah. And I think the most powerful moment, two powerful moments. One is he reveals who he is and that people give a lot of money to find him and kill him and the next moment is but then your daughter would lose a father instead of gaining a husband (laughs) that is a that is a thing to say well do you think he even has thought about k oh yeah i think he has sure as any normal human being would but he also realizes he can't spend too much time um ruminating about Kay because there are bigger issues in his mind for what he has to do with his life, you know? And like a soldier, um, Kay is essentially a fallen fellow soldier in the situation. He has to move on to the next war, the next battle, uh, still honor, respect what was there, but he's moved on, you know? And so uh, I think, sure, he's thought about her, but he certainly wouldn't open the door to Apollonia if he was still in love with her. Or if he ever really, Steve, was in love with her. That's a good well, this, this is, it's so funny. Like, mm. this last time I watched it, yeah. Michael seemed colder throughout the whole movie than I had ever experienced him before. Mm. Like, his relationship with Kay felt more false yeah. and yeah. put on. It felt more like a role that he was playing to be the senator, to be the governor. This is the kind of wife I should have in the way I envision my life. Yeah. It didn't, there are a couple of tender moments. And I think 
from the certainly from the moment he sees Apollonia, yeah. he is. I don't think he even has any thought of Kay. Right. Like no, I think he's I just agree. like this is this is it. I want to meet your daughter. With your permission con il suo permesso. and under the supervision of your family. E con il consenso di tutta la famiglia. With all respect. And dad puts on the suspenders. <laughs> that was Coppola's idea to make this moment more formal. Now this is a formal moment. Yeah. And he agrees and says, come to my house Sunday with your companions. And they ask her name and he says, Apollonia. Then. The whole sequence of the of the first meal together with the gifts and looks it's all looks between apollonia and michael they're just great yeah seems great well and here's a question for you steve or a statement really he never looks okay the way he looks at apollonia never right uh and and i guarantee you if apollonia had said i love you to him on the phone he'd have said it immediately back no matter what the guys were going to make fun of him for because his love for her is stronger than his fear for embarrassment or shame in front of the guys. And that's the difference. Like when, when you meet someone, you like, boom, that's boom. You get hit by the thunderbolt. When you get hit by the thunderbolt, that's the difference. You know, everybody's like, Oh, I don't need to get married. I don't need a man. I don't need a woman. I do my own thing. Blah, blah, blah. The second the thunderbolt hits you, you can shut the fuck up. Cause you're in the pit with everybody else. That's the thing. It's, it's cool to be like thinking you don't need anybody, but when you meet that one person, all bets are off and you're doing shit you never thought you'd do uh because that person uh, uh means so much to you you know if you get the chance to meet that person and what's so interesting he's still being michael corleone oh yeah he still has that power he's sure. still completely in control mm -hmm. of everything he's doing but he wants this yes person in a way he doesn't want anything else in the whole whole film right or the whole series of films and I love, you know, like her opening up and seeing the gold necklace and just the unspoken connection <laughs> between them. And then there's the scene of them walking together with all the old ladies and people behind because they're chaperoning and she stumbles a little bit and he catches her. And, and this is all, you know, stuff that only an Italian could make this movie. Yeah. Um, we're back in New York. Our guys are sort of our guards for Sonny are kind of pitching pennies near a stairway. And then Sonny says goodbye to the same bridesmaid that he had met at the wedding. This is Lucy. And yeah. he goes down the stairs and, and leaves. And I just have to, as quickly as I possibly can, tell you what Coppola cut out of the book. Okay. Because Lucy is a big character in the book. Oh, okay. Okay. So, and Johnny Fontaine is a much bigger character in the book. Right. So, in the book, we go back with Johnny Fontaine, who can't sing anymore because he's, he's, his throat's blown out. Mm -hmm. He thinks too much drinking, too much smoking. He has a buddy who he calls out, who, who he used to sing with, who works construction. He brings him out. He turns that guy into a big star. We follow his career. He's an alcoholic. He's going to die. Johnny can't sing anymore, so he's going to become a producer, which is back by the dawn. So wow. he becomes a producer, still can't sing. Then, after Sonny's death, which we're getting to, Lucy moves to Las Vegas... And in Las Vegas, she falls in love. She's working under Fredo, yeah. falls in love with the doctor. They have sex. And I'm just going to say what this thing is, because we've already introduced that Sonny is a very well-endowed man. Yes. And that Lucy, he is the first man to satisfy her sexually. Mm. And then the doctor, who she has fallen in love with, determines that the reason for this is that Lucy has a 
medical condition, Hell. which means that her nether regions are proportionally large to Sonny's. And so that only a man that big could satisfy her. And so she he arranges to have surgery to reduce her size to a more reasonable amount. Yes, wow. this is all in the book. Wow. And at the hospital, we see Johnny Fontaine, who knows Lucy because they know each other through the Godfather, right. through which the doctor meets Johnny Fontaine and says, no, no, you didn't blow out your voice from smoking and drinking. You have like polyps or something. And he fixes Johnny Fontaine's voice, who goes back to being a huge star. Wow. This is like just this whole, and it is, <laughs> I would say that Johnny Fontaine is as big as, a big a character in the book as Michael Corleone. Hmm. You know, and it's just like these long chapters about Hollywood and movie stars and who's having sex with who and all this stuff. And it's like, what the fuck is this about? And, and it's like the simplest cut I've ever seen out of books. Like, cut all that out. Yeah. This is yeah. a movie. But this is a story about succession, about a king with three sons. That's what it's about. Okay. I hope I said that That's as quickly good. as possible and not in a way, but it's such a salacious story. Um. <laughs> And then Sonny shows up to visit his sister, Connie, and yeah. she opens up the door mm. and turns her face away from him. And then he sees her face and she's been beat up yeah. and he is losing it. It was my fault. Where is Sonny, it? please. It was my fault. Sonny, it was my fault. I hit him. I started to fight with him. Please, Sonny. I hit him. So he hit me. I've bitten the, hand, I've bitten the thumb before, bitten the, the finger before. Like I've never the, bitten the finger. Oh, the fist. Bit the fist. Yeah. I bit the fist before. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and she says it was my fault. It's my fault. Don't hurt him. Oh God, you know, you live long enough and you meet people who are in abusive relationships, and it breaks your heart. You know, yep. it breaks your heart. And the way uh, these women um, um, are, in essence, trapped in these relationships, and the way they excuse these horrible men for the things they do, it's heartbreaking. You know, and um, this moment just hit me harder than it had before, you know, and because in the past when you're younger, you're watching this, oh, yeah, this shitty situation. But as you get older and you've met people like this who've been in relationships like this and you, your heart just breaks because it's a cycle and you hope mm -hmm. they break it. You know, I used to, I was a, um, a accounts payable uh, guy, accountant for uh, for a domestic violence shelter mm. in uh, in Tallahassee for the last few months I'd lived there. Uh, before I moved to Los Angeles, and you know, I heard the stories. I saw the these people and the the these women, and the the I saw men come and bang on the windows and try to get into the shelter to try to get to these women, you know. And so I remember this kind of stuff. And so when you see this moment here, it just hit me a little bit hard as I'm an older person now. That moment is her just like it's my fault. You know, you're just like, oh my god. It's so heartbreaking. Why would you let someone do this to you? And the thing is, I'm not blaming them. Obviously, it's more like it's sad to see that you're in a position like this um, and can't seem to find your way out. You know, and you're the Don's daughter. You would think you have all the resources, but of course, Connie has. You know, is a little bit of has a little bit of the Fredo in her too. She's a sensitive woman. She's a she's a, a you know she wants to be taken care of, and she's got these two strong personalities. Michael in his quietness, Sonny in his uh, hot-headedness, uh, and the Don. Plus, she's a woman in the male-dominated patriarchal culture, patriarchal society at that time in the 40s. So, you know, how much of that 
is she paying plus she's like made to serve made to make the food remember you told me or in the first part mm-hmm. how talia shire had to make the food to make it feel like it's italian or whatever so it's like where's the uh where is um what was her recourse for strength in that situation you know and so uh, it's a shame she ends up with someone as terrible as carlo for now it's so it's so awful and and i i totally agree with you and as i've because when you're young you haven't maybe seen these things very often yeah you know i mean hopefully you have and hopefully this isn't your parents this isn't you know family members and things like that right that you're involved with but as you grow older the odds are more and more likely that on some level you're going to rub up against stuff like this and i certainly have both both uh going both ways i've yeah know some people where it was a woman abusing a man wow. and and uh not so much physically abuse but psychological mm-hmm. abuse yeah certainly what's so takes so long to get and i think this is part of why I, again i know it's a long episode and we're digressing a lot mm-hmm. but i think hopefully one of the things that happens to you as you get older is you just get more compassionate yeah. you know mm-hmm. and realize because when you're young it's like well just leave yeah just leave yeah. get out yeah, what's yeah. wrong with you you know just leave. You don't right. have to stay there. And when you get older, it starts to become, you start to see how difficult it really is. Yep. You know, yep. and even that these aren't necessarily weak people. Mm-hmm. They could be people that are very, very strong True. in certain elements of life. Oh, in yeah. fact, to some yeah. degree, it can be your strength that keeps you there because you're yeah. like, well, I can, I can handle it. Particularly yeah. when kids become involved and you're trying to protect the kids or you're trying to ke- keep a veneer of normalcy. Yeah. And, and she's trying to protect her husband. And he says... And then we cut to Carlo, who's out on a stoop because he's doing taking bets and stuff. Uh, and Sonny pulls up, gets out of the car with a broom handle in his hand, yeah. which, by the way, he asked the prop guy to cut off a broom handle for him and didn't tell Francis. <laughs> so he just comes out with that and then just grabs Carlo and just beats the crap out of him. Yeah. Although I will say, fight scene wise, the misses are not good. In no, this. they're terrible. They're terrible. He's yeah. like five inches away yeah. on some of these, and you could see him pull the kick. Mm-hmm. Like whoever did the fight choreography did not teach James Khan how to do this the right, or didn't angle it the right way so that he could get away with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he does beat the crap out of him, and then we cut as we do many times in this film from intensity and darkness and violence yeah. to brightness because we're back at a wedding. A wedding very different from the first one we saw. We have like a procession down the street with a band. Carmine uh, Coppola arranged the band because mom and dad traveled with Francis to Sicily. Um, uh, We see our guards. We see Michael and Apollonia arm in arm. We see Don Tomasimo in his wheelchair. Uh, there's this beautiful wide shot of the wedding going down the hill, down the stairs. Yeah. That is Gordon Willis's favorite shot in the film. He said, finally, I have a beautiful shot in my movie. <laughs> it's like, finally, this movie's amazing looking. Um, and it's just so sweet and lovely. And I, I, I don't understand what they're doing with the spoon as the bride and groom go around. It's some Sicilian tradition. I don't I imagine know what it so. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it feels very real. And then the first dance. Mm. And I go like, is this the first time they've really touched? You know what I mean? Yeah. Today. That's a good point. On yeah. this wedding day. Right. Um, on the day of your daughter's wedding. Yeah. yeah. And then we go to their wedding night. Yeah. And it is tentative and beautiful and they've never even spoken together right, in right. the film at least 
and he kisses her forehead and her cheek and then they kiss and i it's a it's just a gorgeous mm-hmm. beautifully shot first night scene yeah it's back to new york and it's k yeah <laughs> from him making love with the true love of his life yeah. to this other woman showing up at the compound in a red dress and a hat and Tom comes out and says, hey, we weren't expecting you. You should call. Yes, well, I have. I mean, I've tried writing and calling. Now, I want to reach Michael. And Tom's given the... I, I love to, two things I love about this. First of all, he's just a lawyer. Nobody yeah. knows where he is. We know he's all right. We don't know where he is. And I love that there's a wrecked car right next to it. Yeah. And she's like, what's that? It's like, oh, it's an accident. It's fine. Yeah. No one's hurt. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're in the middle of a war. Will you give this... Letter to Michael, please. Please. Well, if I accepted that, in a court of law, they could prove that I have knowledge of his whereabouts. Let me call you a cab. Yeah, she wants to come in. She said she let her cab go. Yeah. And she said, can I come in? Yeah. Um, in the book, Mom totally invites Kay in and is really warm and brings her in as kind of part of the family. Wow. At this time. Wow. While Michael is marrying Apollonia. Mm. Um, back to Connie. She's very pregnant, answers the phone. There's a woman asking for Carlo if he can make it tonight. (laughs) It's terrible. And then Carlo comes in and she's got dinner on the table. And he says, I'm not hungry. I'll eat out after this scene. So here's why this scene is here. Mm. It is here because the studio said there's not enough violence in this movie. That's so ridiculous. Okay. We need more violence. And they said, we've hired a violence director. (laughs) <laughs> and he's just going to make some violence to shoot some action. And and Coppola says, no, 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 I'll shoot some action. And so he shot this of Carlo beating mm. up Talia Shire. Clean it up! Clean it up! What's it like to shoot your sister? Getting beat know, up man. by an actor you've hired to play her husband. And he is fully committed to this scene. You know what? It is Which, the opposite of James Conn beating him up where you can see it missed. This feels oh, yeah. like, mm-hmm. this feels real yep. and scary. It's yep. very scary. Like the, the the whipping with the belts and everything like that. And um, and of course, I'm sure the violence director directed him how to whip her with the I don't think he, he ever, sh- I, don't even, I don't think the violence director ever showed up. Oh, That's really? Okay. I think this was his way of not having that person show I heard, up. I hope the stage combat director, you know, kind of made sure that she was okay. But you never know now in the 70s. You don't yeah. know. Because Pacino in Godfather 2 does really slap Diane Keaton with all his might. That They've both spoken about that moment. And so was Coppola okay filming his sister? Like, you know, because like it is harrowing because she is, she is, she's, she's, she's mad. She's angry. She's frustrated. She doesn't know what to do. So she breaks shit like a child would do. Uh, um, and then with all the gall in the world, the son of a bitch says, all right, clean it up. Oh my God. And she loses it. He chases her down into the bathroom and Coppola brilliantly keeps the camera at a distant distance so you are left to imagine the horrible beating she must have endured in an enclosed room by this uh maniac you know and it's funny too there's a thing that talia shire does and i know there are people i know who don't love talia shire in this film i don't fucking understand that at all um she does the thing the same thing she does in rocky where she's yelling at another Mm -hmm. polly at her brother like oh what 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 do you ever do for me like that whole scene yeah there is a certain kind of 
screaming anger that feels really real. Mm-hmm. What Talia Shire is doing in both yeah. of those scenes. Yeah. It's not movie acting. It's right. not movie anger. This feels like this person in this culture at this moment just completely fucking losing it. That's yeah. what it feels like. Yeah. yeah. And then we cut to a baby crying and we're back at the house. And this is again, Coppola continually asks this question. Where's the family? Yeah. Where are the children? What are they eating? All of these things that are completely not necessary that make this movie what it is. You just wait there. Dude, the the change in his face, the change in his face when he when she says what she says, he's like, ah, and then all of a sudden, it's just full on. I'm gonna kill this son of a bitch. Yeah. Yep. Well, and something I didn't mention, but we've established multiple times when Sonny is out with Lucy, when Michael goes to the hotel, we're always gonna send some guys. Yeah. Right. They're always gonna be some guys, and this time. Sonny just tells him to open the gate and he drives off and it's Tom that says, hey, you got got to catch up to him. Yeah. And it's that like 45 seconds. That is the difference. Yep. Because he says to he says to him right at the at the Tom, he says, to him, get out of here, get out of here. And he drives off. Yeah. And Tom. Yeah. yeah, he's right. You're right, Steve. The 45 seconds that makes all the difference. Yeah. And we're at the toll booth. This was all shot on a runway. Everything is mm-hmm. built for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sonny's in a, I don't know why this was important to Coppola, but it's a 1941 Lincoln Continental. <laughs> I, it's a cool car. And a car stops in front of him at the toll booth and Sonny's reaching for some money and the car stalls out in front of him. So he's kind of stuck and he looks over at the guy toll taker who drops some coins and ducks that. down. And then Sonny knows. <laughs> he knows. Yeah. And the, the moment, he's not Fredo. It's not like he doesn't react quickly. No. But there is nothing to do. And the guys come up out of the toll booth and they just open fire. And this is, it's very much Bonnie and Clyde and Coppola yes. on purpose. Very much Sam Peckinpah. He is hit with 147 squibs. Wow. That's how it's on his body. And when they're wiring him up, uh, the stunt guy, because it takes a long time to place yeah. 147 squibs, stunt guy <laughs> says to Khan, he says, you know, I never put this many squids on a guy in my life. Chase <laughs> <laughs> Khan says, uh, I don't think it was necessary for you to tell me that right now. <laughs> um, yeah, because those squibs, Steve, you as a director, I don't know if you've worked with squibs before. No, I've never they, done it. Okay, they don't. They hurt. They, yeah, I was gonna say they don't not hurt you. They don't. They do. I mean, it's not a bullet, obviously, but it's a sharp pound into your skin and your yeah. chest. Yeah, they hurt. Everything yeah. I've heard is that they they hurt. Yeah, it's like a paintball. Um, yeah, exactly. And they even fire on him when he's down. They kick him in the face. Oh, it's just absolutely. And 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 again, you think about the first time you're seeing this movie. Mm-hmm. When I you, you would think that Vito Corleone's dead. When he gets shot with the fruit. Right, right, first right. time you see it. And the first time you see this, Michael's in Italy. Sonny, this is so shocking. Yeah, it is. Right in the middle of your movie for this right. guy to get killed. And then there's a pause. And then his guys pull up. Yeah. You know, from far away. Mm-hmm. We dissolve to Tom. I love this scene so much. It's so good. Yeah. It's nighttime. He's sitting in the dark with a drink. We hear the Godfather theme. The camera pushes in. 
and Vito comes into frame. Right. Looking remember, a little bit frail. Remember, Tom is dealing, this is his brother. This is yeah. the man who brought him into this family. Mm-hmm. And he is sitting there, like, wondering what is going to happen next. Maybe guilt that he didn't work harder to stop Sonny. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe they should have handled the Carlos situation differently. You know, what was the conversation with him to try to stop him from killing Bruno Tatai? Because this is vengeance for Bruno Tatai being of killed. Of course. Um, and so it's like there's so many things that he's probably pondering in that moment when uh, Vito shows up. Well, and he's thinking, I have to tell my father, yeah, essentially, right. that his son is dead. Yeah. My wife is crying upstairs. I hear cars coming to the house. I see the area of mine. I think you should tell your Don what everyone seems to know. I didn't tell Mama anything. I was about to come up and wake you just now and tell you. But you needed a drink first. And now you've had your drink. Brando's so good in the scene. Mm-hmm. They shot Sonny on the causeway. He's dead. Ah, that's such a... He's so broken telling yeah. Vito that, man. Or telling, as your friend might need me to say, Mr. Corleone that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah. there's... Brando's taking it in. Yeah. And he takes a moment, but it's just a moment. Mm-hmm. And this is the difference between Vito and Sonny. Right. Because he... You know he wants revenge. You know he he wants to kill the guys that killed his son. And he says, I want all inquiries made. I want no acts of vengeance. I want you to arrange a meeting with the heads of the five families. This war stops now. It's beautiful because he knows he's the dawn. He has to be the oldest one in the room. He has to be the most calm person in the room. So him going over to Tom and hugging Tom when it should be Tom hugging the Don who's actually exactly. lost his blood son is such an important moment. Father to they're like father to son. Mm-hmm. He's hugging him and giving him a place to cry. Yeah. And then he tells him to call Bonacera. So as Steve likes to say, there's the plant from the first monologue of the movie. Yep. The plant now shows up. That he's got to clean up Sonny after he's been riddled with bullets. Well, and, and you know, and like all good plants, you've co- totally forgotten about it. Yes, yes. You're not thinking about this at all. Yes. By, by the way, uh, both Brando and Duvall do not like a lot of takes and are mm-hmm. generally really good in the first few takes. They did three takes and Brando said he was done. I'm done. And, you know, when Brando says he's done, it's very hard to get him to go again. True. This is take four. <laughs> Was it Duval, or was no, it Coppola? Coppola. Convinced Coppola oh, wow. Neither of them wanted to do another take, and Coppola's like, "We're doing take four. And again, that's a good director. He yeah. just knows something. There's something else that we yeah. can get. Sometimes you have to save us from ourselves. That's kind of how it is. It was funny. I was just listening to Kate Winslet, who was interviewed on on Mark Maron. Oh, cool. And she Shit. said, "It's really? good. It's a good interview. Wow, yeah. I got to listen to that." Um, and, um, what she said multiple times is that you got to trust your director. If it's a good director, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, because you can't, I mean, you know, you, you're acted much more than me, but it's really hard to know, particularly in film acting, theater acting, it's easier to know film acting. You don't know what is necessary or what is working or, you know, it's just not possible. 
And you can't control what take they use. Yeah. You really can't. No. You know? And sometimes they think they know you, how you look better on screen and you hate the take they use, thinking you looked better than other takes. So it's just, you just never know. You, you yeah. surrender so much of your power in film if you're not the director. That's for sure. 100%. Yeah. We go down this old-fashioned elevator to the funeral home and there's Bonacera waiting. And, he's, and, and what's interesting, and it's more so in the book, but like, Bonacera doesn't know what he's going to have to do. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, He's scared. Maybe yeah. I'm going to have to lie to the police or get rid of a body or something like that. Yeah, you can see someone. he's very scared. Well, my friend, are you ready to do me the service? Yes. What do you want me to do? I want you to use all your powers and all your skills. I don't want his mother to see him this way. They pull back the sheet. Mm. And there's a reaction from Bonacera, who yeah. sees bodies all the time. Yeah. And he reacts to this. It's horror. It's horror in his face. Yeah. yeah. Look how they massacred my boy. They massacred. Look how they yeah. massacred my boy. And it's. I think it's the first time he's seen him. Mm, I think so, too. Right? I mean, just the emotion, the overwhelming I mean, he's overcome rather with emotion in that moment, and just the the tears, you know. And he's not weeping or anything, but he's just like you can tell it's a genuine loss in his life to lose his firstborn son. It's a big so deal. here's the here's yeah here's the note that I have. No one makes a face like Brando. Ah, it's so true, man. Yeah, so Brad, Brad, he can do things with his face, yeah. <laughs> like just weird. That's just so powerful. Yeah. And before he did, so, so before he did this scene, he went to Coppola and said, "I need a moment," mm. you know. And he took a moment for himself, and then he did this scene. So, so James Conn and Duvall are such assholes. <laughs> <laughs> So later on, they're doing a scene, and all Duval has to do is he has to walk across the room. That's all he has to do. And, and James Conn goes to Coppola. It's like, I think Bobby needs a moment. You take a moment. <laughs> and then there's another moment where uh, Duval is doing his Brando impression. And in both of these times, they think Brando's not around. And Brando sees both of these things <laughs> and is not happy. <laughs> Well, fuck him for putting lead in the hospital bed. It goes both ways. It goes both ways, Marlon. Mr. Brando. It goes both ways. Um, can you be uh, imagine being on the set with Brando and, and mocking him? No, I bust his balls day and night. Oh, yeah. He's one of the guys, man. He's a New York boy. I mean, sorry, he's a Midwestern boy, but he's one of the guys. Yeah. You just, that's so you can't revere someone too much like that or you lose all kinds of power and all kinds of ability to speak to them, you know? And then we go for, again from really dark to really happy because Michael's teaching Apollonia to drive and we're laughing and Don Tomasino is there. And, you know, we, we hear that things are getting bad. Um, and then he tells Michael Santino they killed him. Yeah. And we just saw Vito not react to or have very little reaction to the death of his son. And now we see exactly the same thing with Michael. Yeah. And, the, in. and yeah. the rude honking of Apollonia really shocks yeah. you. Yeah. anger in that moment like hey leave him alone his, his brother just died yeah and then you know we're, we got to leave town because people know that michael's here and michael sees fabricio and asks who's walking away says where are you going and fabricio looks back yeah and then runs away yeah and in that moment apollonia's in the car 
and Michael knows. No! No, I believe! And then we just see the wreck of the car oh. and the leg of yeah. Apollonia. Yeah. You know, just occurred to me just now. What What's did that? Faye see when she came to find Michael? A wrecked oh, car. Oh, a wrecked car. What? Maybe a little foreshadowing. What a Maybe. great point, Steve. Yeah. Never thought about it until this moment. Yeah. Here's the note, and then we fade to black, and this is the note I have in, on, that I wrote down. That's the end of Michael's heart. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what would have happened if Apollonia had lived. It's a good question. I don't think uh, Fredo would be dead. I don't think. Yeah. I don't know if Carlo would be dead. But maybe the Corleones would be destroyed by the five families. Yeah. Or, I mean, he has an Italian wife, right? So he goes back and he's even more powerful like Vito was. Vito and his Italian wife as well. Like maybe he's more powerful what he uh, uh, intends to do and what he can do once he gets there, you know? Yeah. Well, we don't know what that Michael would do in that alternate reality. Yeah, right. What this Michael is going to do is going to be to take back the Corleone family and right. become the Godfather. But we're going to have to wait until right. part three <laughs> of our exploration of the Godfather to find out exactly what happens. Um, as always, we'd love to hear what you think. Do a search for The Cinephiles on Facebook. Please subscribe to the sh- show on iTunes or YouTube or Google Play, Spotify, or even Audible or Amazon now, whatever's most convenient for you. If there's an opportunity to give us a review, we really, really could use it. In fact, we might make you an offer you can't refuse. (laughs) Um, If you want to buy The Godfather, Godfather 2, or in fact, I created a web page with a whole bunch of Coppola's films. Please visit cinephiles.net where you can buy or stream those movies through Amazon Prime. You can support the show on patreon.com slash the cinephiles. You can find the cinephiles on Twitter at cine underscore files on Instagram at the cinephiles podcast. You can find me at SR Morris or SR Morris one on Twitter and Instagram respectively. John, how about you? Yeah, you can always find me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram uh, there. And you can also uh, follow the content I've got going on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca says, uh, and uh, go and take a look at all the stuff we got going on there. Uh, Steve, having been a recent host on Impolite, a uh, recent guest rather on Impolite Truths a couple times, it's been great to have him on. Uh, and uh, so you can see more of our stuff over there or more of the stuff I do as well over there. All right, I'm talking too much. That's it. Just go over there if you want. There's so much good stuff led by Don Roca. <laughs> Please. Um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, I think that's it for this week. We will see you next week to finally conclude <laughs> Godfather Part 1 on The Cinephiles. <laughs>